Welcome to the Dinosaur Man podcast. I'm Andy Hughes. I'm here, as ever, with Alex Hudson. I can't believe that we've had to cut the best intro we've ever done to an episode already. <laughs> but it's okay, because we also have the best guest we've ever had. Is Paul he... Hudson! <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Okay. I think, I think you uh... actually improve the more you're on it. Um, <laughs> so you're, you're best by about five appearances no you must have been i've done this Wait. podcast more than five times yeah i forgot you i've you done the co-host. year end you were co-host <laughs> for about four months years. last year okay um yeah uh, welcome paul thank you it's for good having to have me you back yeah I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be here uh ready and raring to go in uh the buzziest awards mm. season uh, part of the award season really yeah because if paul's here that can only mean one thing guys Either I'm not here. This either sucks or, or good, and I don't know which. Or it's the annual Dinosaur Man Awards show. Uh, this is where we honour the films of the previous year. This year, probably the latest we've ever put it out, um, mainly because, you know, we wanted to watch some more movies and Andy wanted an excuse to maybe change up his big categories very close to the recording. Content, baby. I thought you were just watching it in advance of the Oscars, but... Who knows? Um, <laughs> obviously, usual rules apply. So if you've not listened to the podcast before... This cannot be your first episode. I'll tell you this No, now. no, it can. This is a, this is a nice welcome I, welcome to the bosom I, of the okay. podcast. I know that every Suckle episode is Suckle on the teeth of movies. Every episode is someone's first episode. Yeah. This should not be anyone's first episode. Absolutely. We've got Paul here. Well, yeah, he gives I, a good impression. I, yeah, but what, Paul's been on... then get attached. Well, then you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Paul, there we go. Paul's been on better and shorter episodes. <laughs> <laughs> and at the rate of this introduction, and this you might not have been on them. <laughs> <laughs> makes it easier for the listener. Um, um, okay, so this is our annual tradition of awarding the films of the previous year, best things we've seen, worst things, all of that. I mean, there's actual categories. We'll go through the categories in a second, guys. Don't worry about that. But just if you've looked at the runtime of the episode, that's why it's long. There's going to be some jokes in there, guys. Um, (laughs) We cannot guarantee that. Halfway through, I'm going to do a type five. (laughs) Okay, you're going to do it. I've been writing it all year. Um, So... so, category-wise, what have we got, Alex? Best moment. Yes. Most disappointing. Mm-hmm. The biggest surprise. That's just kind of like a recommendations round. Mm-hmm. Um, the Nerve Award for Stupid's Film of the Year. Yep. The Entourage Award for Worst Film. Mm-hmm. And Best Film. No <laughs> film sponsors that because no film has been as good as Entourage is bad. bad. Um. Important to note that all our picks are from UK release yes. of 2022. So if we mention a film that was in 2021 for yourselves, that might be why. And that's why The Whale isn't winning Best Picture. <laughs> yeah, that's why. <laughs> it's the only reason why The Whale isn't winning. I can't wait to it. watch The Whale. Well, you've only got a month to wait. Uh, <laughs> I cannot wait for you to not watch that film. 
So yeah, and also if you're thinking, oh, they're missing some obvious films out, that'll be why, because they might be in 2023 for us. And if we're including stuff that you saw in 2021, sorry I don't live in Los Angeles. <laughs> Fucking this um, piece of shit listening. He's always on my case. <laughs> well, Mr. Los Angeles. It's the guy, he's in Los Angeles, we know it. Um, the other important thing to say is that Obviously, for the films we discussed, there may be mild spoilers. There um, may be major the, spoilers, maybe. There may, yeah, there may be major um, spoilers. A military general uh, major. Shit, <laughs> fuck. You've ruined your own joke. Um, okay, general spoilers all around. A turd, Okay, <laughs> let's move on. So, yeah, please be aware of that. So, if there's a film that we mentioned that you don't want to know anything about, either watch the film or watch just the skip. film and come back to the yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah pause right the film. Uh, sorry, pause the podcast, go watch the film, come back after two hours, and then be like, yeah. they chose that piece of shit as best. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that's all the groundwork we put into this podcast. It's not many, very many rules. We just make it sound longer. Yeah, essentially, it's just Ooh. we fight over things until we get a best moment. Oh, yeah, and then we um, pick like an overall. But you'll see, you'll see how it works. Keep listening. Did, right. Mm-hmm. No, we don't have time mm-hmm. for that. This is, mm-hmm. this is an episode. Um, I know you're drinking water at the inopportune moment. Um, I'm really excited about the return of Pirates of the Caribbean, by the way. <laughs> opportune moment kind of reminded me of that because Jack Sparrow keeps talking about the opportune moment with no, Will More Turner. importantly, why are you Alex Hudson? Uh, just good pirate stuff. <laughs> okay. You know. You're a pirate man. Now. It kind of feels like any uh, Pirates of the Caribbean film that comes out now yeah. will be also an unofficial sequel to Captain Phillips, so that's kind of interesting. Um, well, uh, I suppose you could say that with uh, Our Flag Means Death that, that Pirates have gone woke now anyway. Have they? Is that, is so. that the argument that's being levelled against Our Flag Means Death? Probably. It's got gay pirates in, hasn't it? So, But pirates would have been gay. This is, yeah. is why you can't just take up with anything. They were at sea for months at a time. You telling me that pirates didn't just go, you know what? I want to be on a ship with a load of men for a few months. <laughs> they were the original um boat trip. Boat what was it called? Oh fuck me. Was it called boat trip? It had Cuba Gooding Jr. in. He You're thinking of crew um Love Cruise? Speed two cruise control. No, so Cuba Gooding Jr. and another person. It'll yeah, probably be someone who's won an Oscar since. Um, I know which one you mean. Accidentally booked themselves onto a gay cruise, yeah. and Roger Moore was like the captain of the gay cruise, I think. <laughs> anyway, never saw the film. Shall we get on with it? So Let's do it. <clears throat> yeah, it's called Boat Trip. Thank you. I was correct. Um, it was Road Trip and then Boat Trip, mm-hmm. kind of sequel. Uh, anyway. Shall we start with our categories? <laughs> Who's coming down the red carpet? No, we don't have time for improv. <laughs> okay, so our first category is, as ever, well, as of the last four years or so, best moment. So best moment is a category that is probably the most subjective of the categories in terms of both our understanding and definition of what a moment is, because yeah, we've had 25 exactly. minutes and we have had half a second. <laughs> and also one year I tried to have the moment of... I've seen this one moment in seven different films. I do remember that. Um, Strangely, you boys did not allow me to have that one. We don't like cheating. I'm and not sure I was here for that one. Oh, you, you were? <laughs> because we both instantly vetoed it. Uh, okay. It was just his thing of, what, what was it? It was like, uh, it's, when music matches up to a thing. No, because it's my best moment of every year. Um, 
No, there's something to do with like um, splash page shots. That was it, yes. Or something. Um, so yeah, a moment can be literally a look. We've had that before. Um, or it could be something that is like a 10-minute scene mm. and it's a moment within that movie. It is completely subjective to you, what you think is the best. Who wants to go first if I can ask to go last because this is the one that I'm having most trouble with. Same. Likewise. I, I have my choices and I found it one of the more difficult things to choose because yeah. I didn't have... I had a front runner, but then I didn't really have anything that I was like... Oh, that moment. Mm. So, Paul. Do you have anything settled, Paul? Well, I guess that I'm starting out your podcast, so... Uh, <laughs> you know, um, guests first, I think that's the saying. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, okay, I can I can, uh, I can, can shoot. Um, so, um, my best moment of the year, uh, I believe... Yeah, I still haven't decided out my, my two yet either, but... Okay, I've got, I've got a got winner at the moment, so, so I guess I could go. I'm go- so, no, no, so it's... Um, there is a scene in um, a film called The Menu uh, that makes my best moment of the year. Um, now, I don't know if either of you have seen oh, no. The Menu. No, is, okay. it, is it good? Uh, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, and this particular scene is probably the boiled down ethos of why I enjoyed the film so much. Um, so that, so Ray Fiennes plays a uh, famous sort of Michelin star level chef. Uh, one of these sort of people that does taster courses and, you know, has a sort of restaurant on a exclusive resort where they have to get a bus, uh, a boat over to, to it. The restaurant only seats, 12 people, all of this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's someone that has been wrestling with uh, fame for decades and um, dealing with his, you know, his foray into the, into the, the, the culinary world. Um, and what that obsession means to him and, and that whole, um, and how, and, you know, the film's got a lot of themes about, about, um, art versus the artists mm-hmm. versus the consumer sort of thing and and looking at what you put out into the world and how people respond to it and how they deem things you know deem it their right to do certain things in response to what yeah. you're putting out there etc and basically this film um ends up coming up to this, this the themes of this film end up coming up to a um sort of boiling point moment of um everything seems to be about to go real 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 bad and then there's just a moment where someone just reminds him of why he got into what he does mm-hmm. and why he became a chef in the first place and they did that by uh, so the the idea is that as a sixteen year old, he would have worked in a fast food place. Yeah, and that's how he got his very first start in it. All this stuff. So there is a phenomenal scene, which is Ray Fiennes cooking a cheeseburger, and that is my moment of the year. <laughs> is Ray Fiennes cooking a cheeseburger? <laughs> Because there is so much like this scene is is so incredible because. It's one of those ones where you go, well, obviously, you know, it's it's a moment that means a lot more than what it is. Yeah. And 
the acting that is done by Ray Fiennes in in that scene is just phenomenal because you just get that you you see this weathered and weary uh, artist return back to the thing that made him passionate about mm-hmm. it all in the first place and for her you know for that moment he recaptures how he felt about food why he got into into the restaurant business in the first place um and i tell you what it looks like a damn good cheeseburger this was going to be my question like the important most important question is how does the cheeseburger it looks look? like a damn good cheeseburger you know it looks it looks real good and then uh he does the whole, you know. He makes some fries with it, puts it in the in a, in a cone in the bag, sort of thing. You know, it's it's and it's that whole thing of, um, you know, the the in the, in particularly in the scene they make him, you know, make make a point out of the fact that a you know a good cheeseburger takes you back to your childhood, takes mm-hmm. you back to memories of when things were simpler and easier yeah. and. All of that stuff, and and it's just everything that coming together for it's it. It's just so one it's, of those moments where it yeah. kind of encapsulates themes, but all in one simple kind of motif. Yeah, exactly. And it was just and and again because it was a and because it becomes a scene where you know it starts with someone going, "Can I have a cheeseburger, please?" and mm. the rest of the scene is no dialogue because it's just him cooking the thing, and you just get that moment to breathe in the film okay. as well. The uh, but yeah, it's it's everything about it. I mean, it it was probably almost tied for top spot if it wasn't the fact that it did look like a really really good cheeseburger <laughs> it might not quite have clinched the top over. one it does look real good um yes, like i'm getting hungry now thinking <laughs> about it so uh <laughs> hey uh so th- so my moment of the year is ray fines cooking a cheeseburger a damn good cheeseburger um so my best moment this is like i said category i've had a yeah. lot of struggles with a couple of late entries that I thought mm. of today that I was like, oh, yeah, that is a moment that has stuck with me, or that is a moment that I have witnessed today. Um, <laughs> however, I'm taking it all back. Okay. I, I'm going with my original my original pick. Of course, from a film that made me cry. Why not? So it could be any film you've seen yeah, this yeah, year. Yeah, it's like 50% <laughs> of the films that I saw this year. Guys, um, it's from Morbius. <laughs> didn't have to see that in the end. Um, Belfast, which okay. you haven't seen. No, I still but didn't Paul, see it. you've seen with mm-hmm. me, and I rewatched last week. Um, so the whole film is about moving, staying, you know, making difficult decisions as a family to mm. work out what to do, and you know, testing of love and relationships and family, and what you know the the pressures on human beings. There is a scene at a wake where it descends into this dance and song number mm-hmm. to Love Affairs Everlasting Love. Mm-hmm. And it is the most... Uh, it, it's the thing from the film... And I'd already been in floods of tears at this point, so don't even worry about it, I guess. <laughs> but this was the moment where I just completely lost it because it's about the love between these two people and it's about the love of the family and it's about all of that. And again, like Paul was saying... You, you've got all your motifs and you've got all your themes and they're all coming together and you've got this one moment that is just Jamie Dornan singing Everlasting Love to Katrina Balfe and it is 
it's it's everything going on all together. Yeah, I was careful not to say everything everywhere all at once, <laughs> but it's it's about love, it's about family, it's sexual, it's sensual, mm-hmm. it's familial, it's all of that stuff, and it's just one of those moments that I just lost it even more because yeah. I was just like, "This is the film," and you want Jamie Dornan to sing it, you too. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'd go for that. Um, but just a really powerful moment where it it turns into this sort of dreamlike thing mm-hmm. because it doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel like it fits the reality of what we've been seeing. Mm-hmm. And yet there's that thing of like, is it real? Is it kind of an imagining thing of Buddy the kid? Is he then kind of re- recalling it in his memory as something that actually maybe happened slightly differently? Yeah. Just, I'm thinking about it now and I'm getting goosebumps. I love this moment. Mm-hmm. Andy, what's your moment? So I was going to go with one from a film that we've all seen, but I'm actually going to go for one that I think, I know me and Paul have seen, but you haven't, I don't think. You've not seen Black Panther Wakanda forever, right? Oops. So <laughs> Must have slipped my mind. <laughs> the moment I want to talk about is, it's actually in a little bit in the trailer as well, but on... The film as a whole, it works so much better, which is the scene where um, Angela Bassett's um, queen, whatever her name is, you know I don't do names of characters. I never learn characters. Um, she basically, so in the film, um, the Reguera's um, Dora Milaje takes on Shuri out to the wilds despite not really, the queen not really wanting her to go. Um, and in that case, they lose Shuri. Um, she comes back to Wakanda and she's like, look, I will go. I will find your daughter. And she's in tears and she's like, I'll find her. I know she's still alive. Just let me go and find her. And she is given the dressing down of all dressing downs by um, the queen, who basically does this speech about kind of, I have given everything for this country. I have lost my husband. I've lost my son. And now you're telling me that I have lost my daughter as well. And you think you have the right to come to me and say oh, I'm sorry, I will fix this. That is not good enough. And for that, I cannot allow you anywhere near my sight. And the reason it's so powerful is not only is Angela Bassett just an incredible performer, the speech is so incredibly well written, but I think it really nails that. Something that I don't think, especially like big budget superhero films, especially don't do, it really nails that kind of selfishness of grief. Mm -hmm. When you're wrapped up in your grief so much, that you actually start lashing out and you start being this person who isn't your character. You know, we've seen her character. She is this kind of wise woman who is the matriarch of the country. And in that moment, you see, oh no, but why do I have to go through this? What have I done to make this my fault? Why why have the gods looked badly? And for a film that is so full of faith, to have somebody be like, why is my faith punishing me? And that really kind of selfishness. And I think it's something that you can really link to. I think everyone's had those moments when you've been, when you kind of go, oh no, but what about me? And as much as you try to put out in the universe, you kind of go, yeah, but what about me? Why do I deserve this? Mm. And I think it's so well done. And I think it is absolutely buoyed by that performance. I think with a lesser performer, it doesn't work. And you get a little bit of it in the trailer, but in the movie, it is this really kind of like, I held my breath watching it because I was like, she's just magnetic. Mm. And it's why I think 
she should be in that conversation for like best supporting like when it gets to awards season because I think she is absolutely phenomenal. Mm. So yeah. I mean, her performance I've only heard good things about. Mm. Um I think from, she's the best part of the film. Yeah, from both far. of you. You yeah. both said she is the best performance mm. in there. And she's already had some nominations for awards and you mm-hmm. know, and won awards. So yeah. we're clearly in a position where I think that is being recognized. Yeah, which absolutely. is for a MCU movie mm. is a first on a performance yeah. level, isn't it? So that's kind of cool that you get that moment yes. in such a powerful performance. No, I, I think guess. it's it's one of those things that, like, I know we spoke about this before with um, what's the one where a bomb? Um, Paul Walter Hauser. Yes. So Richard Jewell. in that film, Richard Jewell, um, Kathy, Kathy Bates, Bates has a moment which Oscar is like, moment. oh, she doesn't really do much in the film, but she has her Oscar moment. Mm. And I was watching Black Panther thinking, this is her Oscar moment. I don't think that's because her performance is bad, but this is like the moment you go, yeah. oh. It feels earned rather than the Kathy Bates one, which kind yeah. of felt like a cynical thing of like, well, let's write up a scene that's going to get Kathy Bates a nomination for an Oscar. It's like, well, okay, but what else does she have to do here? Yeah. But it sounds like from everything that you guys have told me about her performance, it's solid throughout. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah. I mean, she's, she's terrific throughout it and obviously someone that's been turning in pretty uh, pretty terrific performances consistently yeah. for... Got a question for you, Paul. Yeah. It's not a stunt burger, is it? No, it's smash burger. <laughs> it's a smash burger. <laughs> yeah. you telling me, you telling me that Ray Fiennes has had to make a smash burger? Yeah. <laughs> Might be my moment of the year. Yeah. It's, it's, me. Re- it's really beautiful. It's Seriously, it's... Uh, what fast food restaurant did he work at? Uh, I think it... it name and shame? It, no, it just has a photo of him, you know, as a employee as a, of the month. as a teenager. I could, I could probably uh, identify that uniform. You know me. <laughs> yeah, probably true. Probably true. Yeah, a little paper yeah. hat on um, was, White Castle. I think it might have been a paper hat actually, but <laughs> the um, but yeah. Uh, My yeah. question is: So you've seen Belfast as well? I have seen Belfast. I'm a sucker for. I'm the only person that's seen all three of the, mo- the moments <laughs> of the year. So, uh, and I don't even do a film podcast. I'm just putting it out there. Maybe this is how Catch we up announce guys. the new host. Catch up guys. Okay. This is, I leave forever. Yeah. I'm a sucker for a good, like, random song in a film that, like, you don't expect it from. Mm. Like, you know me, I love music. Yeah. How does that moment play for you in the film? Yeah, um, I think I took slightly less from it. I mm. don't, because, to, for, for me, I, um, but it's one of those films where um, there's so much that happens in that story that it's not my best moment of Belfast. Okay. But that's because Belfast is littered with great things moments. that you could go well there's a best moment um and the thing that i really connected with in that one was uh the levity mm-hmm. that it brought to it as various points so i've got a different best moment from that when he steals a chocolate bar from a shop but uh and he basically and he, <clears> his <throat> mum takes him back to uh return the chocolate bar that he stole or so, sorry, it's um, mm-hmm. not a chocolate bar from a shop. It's it's, uh, it's soap from a supermarket when he's trying yeah. to get chocolate, but he just ends up getting soap instead. But anyway, so but it does play out really well. Um, the musical scene it is um, incredible from that point of view, and it is one of those ones to go in. You know, everything that Alex says is is, is probably right. In mm-hmm. uh, it does sim- it does sort of uh, bring a lot of the sort of crux of 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 the film together um 
and to be fair it's it's um the interesting thing i suppose is that with belfast being a film for effectively about these people but and all of these events but from the child's perspective mm-hmm. it's an interesting way to put that across because yeah. what would a child latch on to yeah it's something kind of like the... a musical form and something you know something there like that sort of showy moment because it's that thing isn't it i don't think there's actually too many little quiet moments between um mm. trina barrow and um help mm-hmm. me out the other one jamie dawn jamie dawn and uh in it because of it being from the kids' it's, perspective, it's, so it's the unreliable narrators. Yeah, so it's ha- so having that then g- g- gives them that moment of sort of something yeah. that does symbolise everything, right? Um, and it's something that, yeah, as you say, as I say, it's probably something that built up more. You know, if we look at the context of the story, you might it doesn't necessarily feel like it's a hundred percent real. Mm-hmm. It could be an exaggeration. It could be or whatever, but. Yeah, uh, so it does. It does work quite well. Um, I, I would just, I just I would, is this one that we have to we pick a so, winner yeah. for still. So yes. for those who right, are new cause... to the podcast, this is where things get interesting yes. because certain categories, most of them, we now kind of decide on what we think is the the definitive, definitive best, best moment, moment the, uh, even if two of us haven't seen it. Yeah. Yet. Now <laughs> f- this is exactly where already you know my best moment of the year was one that I was uh, or. It's not the best moment of the year mm-hmm. because I'm biased. Yeah. Also, I wanted that cheeseburger. Also. I really wanted that cheeseburger. <laughs> the reason for me, but I'm ruling yours out, Paul, is because it just sounds like ratatouille. <laughs> it doesn't have any ratatouille. They eat something and then he um, gets transported back to the Well, he doesn't eat it. It's the, the process the of... eats it and yeah. uh, it takes him back to his childhood, right? Yeah, yeah. where he was a fast food worker yeah. and he had a rat on his head. And he's making burn. Not sure that's exactly is. the same. Um, <laughs> I think the critic kind of thinks of their mother's cooking. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> I remember. Yeah, I think it's pretty much the same. Uh, thinks about eating a rat when they were but a little kid. Also, I do want to see this burger, so yeah. I just hope you know that I'm going to look up this burger. Oh, okay, good, 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 good. Straight after we're done. Uh, all you have to do is put in the menu burger scene, and it will. No, just to put it in the the menu burger and see what comes up. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, but it's basically one that I was. Uh, uh, I don't think mine is the best cinematic but moment it's of the year. The best year. for you. Well, no, I've got, <laughs> I've got other ones on my on my runners up list. I just wanted to talk about it. It's All a right. real. It's a real good cheese. I love you know? that. I mean, like I've, I've probably got the the ones on my runners up are probably going to be actual best moments, but um, but they ain't that cheese. I really enjoy so, that. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. If we're saying it is between you and me, mm-hmm. Andy, your moment sounds great, and I'm sure Angela Bassett's performance is great. She it was is. great in the first one, mm-hmm. and she only had very limited time on screen. But, you know, Angela Bassett's Angela Bassett. You're not going to put her in a film and waste her, are you? Yeah. I mean, plenty of people have, but, you know. <laughs> but it sounds like it's a moment that really kind of resonated with you. Mm-hmm. Um and for that to have happened in an MCU movie on a performance yeah. level, completely stripped away. Because normally when you choose like an MCU type moment, <laughs> it's usually like, it reminded me of the comics and that's cool. <laughs> and I'm like... Well, the Shang-Chi bus one was a runner-up for him last year, right? Yeah. That is okay. true. And I give I give fairly short shrift to you whenever yeah. you bring one up and be like, yeah. oh, it was like a, it looked like it was a comic book. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, well, yeah, I get that. How old are we? 
But this is the first time you've brought one up that has been on a emotional level. Yeah. Not on a, oh, it made me think of being, like, reading these comic books. That's right. Like, My best moments are normally Godzilla breathes breath and kills something. And, well, and that's kind of what I'm looking at here, and I'm thinking... Is this, this, is this the year that we reward personal growth and you identifying <laughs> that this moment and this performance is not a comic book mm-hmm. thing for the sake of a comic book thing? Yeah. No, and I'm not saying that your choices before no, no. have been bad. We all heard what you said, okay? They stunk. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to say I'm willing to side with you um, on I this take on the basis of you're actually recognising that this had an emotional resonance yes. with you beyond just, wow, this looks cool, or, mm. wow, Godzilla's breath was fucking blue, it, or whatever. It, it was good, Although, Godzilla's breath was cool, it though, was wasn't blue. it? Oh. So yeah. we're crowning best moment as Angela, Angela Bassett's kind of dressing down of yes. Denai Guerrera. Yes. Mm. Um, do you want to do some quick... For some reason, little... by the way, I thought that's... Because um, I've only ever seen the trailer for this movie... Mm. I just thought that that was like a speech to the UN. It it looks like that in the trailer, but yeah. actually, oh, that's it's, right. it's a much they, more. They, they play the audio they, over. I think they intercut them. it with the sp- yes. like for the trailer. They intercut it with parts of she does do a speech to at the UN because I was like, and I think they intercut this it. Doesn't with that. happen at this point. And I was like, hang on, Andy's actually seen this movie. Yeah. I should probably believe him. <laughs> so, honorable mentions. Yeah, I've got a few because this is exactly where, as I say, I've I got two. I've, I've probably I've got three because this is where they probably are actually moment actual moments of the year so uh top uh top gun maverick uh there is a scene fairly early on with ed harris uh basically giving uh uh tom cruise a bollocking mm-hmm. and uh at the end of it it's one of these ones going you know you're you're shipping you back off to top gun we've just had the call come in and he goes yeah okay and then and then just as he's about to leave ed harris has a bit where he's just like you know, your kind's heading for extinction. And Tom Cruise just replies, maybe so, sir, but not today. <laughs> it's basically, it sums up Tom Cruise in, in the world of cinema. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love about that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Banshees of Inishirin. Um, There is a, a devastating scene with Barry Keegan breaking our hearts with, mm. well, there goes that dream. That's such a good moment. It's such a good moment. It's so well done. It's the two, in my opinion, Barry Keegan and Kerry Condon are the two best performances in the film. They're all great. And it's it's that scene where you just go, and it's just that moment of just sort of real humanity. Mm -hmm. Just, ah, everything about it, amazing. Um, And then um, a moment in uh, the film Mass when um, Reed Burney's character says, uh, it's all the things you don't see. Won't say any more about that mm. one because I have a feeling we're going to get back onto yeah. that later. Mass has a few of those moments. Yeah. Um, I remember one, the first ones I wrote down this year was from Mass, but like you said, it might be a film we talk about later, so that's fine. Did you want to talk about yours? Yes, yeah, so I'll do my two. Um, so one of them is from a film that I was kind of like, eh, it's fine, whatever. But it is easily the best moment from this film. I think it's great performance. Mm-hmm. The film itself is just middling. However, the Louisiana Hayride scene from Elvis mm-hmm. is the best performance scene in it. I had this issue with Elvis where I was, I was like, the performances don't really come alive in the way you want them to. Yeah. In the same way that they did in uh, A Star is Born. Mm-hmm. 
and that probably helped because I went back and saw it in IMAX and everything and I started <laughs> crying during the opening scene. <laughs> but Elvis, yeah, the Louisiana Hayride scene, it is that thing of like trying to capture Elvis announcing himself to the world and kind of this is the, you know, it's the moment that Tom Parker sees him for the first time and he's like, this is a marvel. Mm-hmm. And it's the only time any of those performances maybe aside from the comeback special, feel like genuine good performances. Everything else kind of feels like, oh, I'm just watching someone do a rehearsal of an Elvis thing here. Like it just kind of feels like, yeah, I'm just watching a DVD of an Elvis performance. I'm not really getting the feeling this is live. I'm not getting that sensation. Mm. But it is a scene that's kind of charged with electricity. Third or second runner-up, second honourable mention I want to bring up, is a scene that I literally saw this morning. Um, <laughs> this morning? Is it today's Saturday? Yes. Did you watch After Sun? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it was today. So from After Sun, which, as you can tell, we watched this morning, um, there is a scene, uh, well, it's kind of the culmination of the whole film, um, and it is a dance scene between a father and daughter to Under Pressure, mm-hmm. but a vocal version of under pressure so all of the instruments get stripped out of it and it breaks it down and i was nah i was gone at that point (laughs) there were tears it was but for me that moment really it it's a great film and we'll be talking about it on a news and reviews very soon Mm. but there is a lot of stuff that i love about that film and it went in very high on my list, not quite at the top, but very high on my list today. Yeah. So that scene between the two of them, the dancing, is just heartbreaking, but uplifting and kind of, it's everything. Mm-hmm. And like Paul says, mass. Yeah. There, there, are, there are a lot of moments from mass yeah. that I could have chosen as well. Andy, what about you? Um, let me talk through a few that I had um, on here. So I had a couple of scenes. So the arrival scene in Glass Onion, where they all arrive on the pier, I think is a really great way of introducing you to each character. Mm-hmm. And it being set in the time of COVID, having the characters arrive with masks that show their characteristics. Yeah. You've got, you know, the scientist who's wearing a proper full protective mask. You have then somebody who, um, like Birdie, who appears with this kind of mask. But it's just full of holes. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. she's trying her best. but And then you have Dave Bautista's character turn up and he just isn't wearing one. Yeah. And you get a real good in- indication of who each character mm. is, all from Benoit Blanc's perspective as well. And I think it's shot incredibly well. Um, there, there's an incredible moment within that scene where Catherine Hahn's mask has fallen off of her face mm. a bit. And then she scratches her cheek, notices that the mask isn't up, and then scrambles to get it back yeah. up. And it's one of those things of going, as you say, it's that with with her character, it's that perfect sort of little indication mm. of like, oh no, she's actually super conscious about it. But and it's, it's, just, a, it's a film that's yeah. full of these really nice moments, but that whole scene just really works for me. Another scene that I really enjoyed was, and it, this one's a bit longer, the opening of the Batman from the yes. point where Robert Patterson starts talking and he does this voiceover. Forgot about the Batman. Is, is incredible. Like, it's it really settles you in straight away and goes, oh, so this is this movie, and it's great. Um, and it was my top film for a long time. Um, 
there was a couple of others. Oh, the bit in Sonic 2 when um, Jim Carrey's Dr. Robotnik is in a giant Dr. Robotnik costume and he does a dance to Pantera's walk. That's a lot of fun. Okay, that's, that's, you might have sold me on that film. Uh, <laughs> Actually, I'm just going to jump in as well while you're looking for your next one because you saying the Batman has just reminded just the first time the full score kicks in mm. because the score of that film is just so good um, and the first time it properly kicks in it's just like ooh yeah, yeah. Like, this is yeah. good yeah. Um, last two um, the moment two. the moment in Black Adam where um, unbelievable where where you left the theatre <laughs> he mentions he watches Clint Eastwood on the TV so then the next time somebody challenges him the good, the bad, and the ugly music starts playing, and he has a shoot off with a member of the member of the military. They shoot him with a gun. He shoots him with lightning. Um, really funny. Uh, can I strip, ten out of ten? No notes. Can, can I strip away the bit where I said that I gave you the Angela Bassett one because you were finally recognizing something for a real and, reason? And finally, the Morbius scene where um, where uh, what's his face from Doctor Who, uh, Matt right. Smith does does a, does a little dance. Hilarious. Yeah. 10 out of 10, no notes. I have seen that bit and it is funny. At um, least three of them, awful. <laughs> cool. Uh, so, should we move on to our second category yes. now that we're nearly an hour in? <laughs> uh, 39 minutes, we're okay. So, moving on from best moment, a nice uplifting one, mm-hmm. uh, one really passionate and positive about. Let's talk about the disappointments of the year. It's most disappointing. Who has got an absolute solid gold banger to start us off? Hello there. You and McGregor complaining, <laughs> complaining about starting the podcast off, but loving the fact that he gets to go again. <laughs> yeah. uh, disappointing, most disappointing is a very easy one this year. It's the three five five. Were you excited for that? Well, it was a film that has... Paul has a countdown in his room of days until three five five, and it's paused at zero 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 one second because he's that disappointed it it was more about so i wasn't excited about the film itself yeah for one i didn't actually not realize until i was in the cinema that simon kinberg was the director okay i would have been less excited if i'd been aware that simon kinberg was the director and this was the second film from the director who bought us x-men dark phoenix Mm. but having said that it was a film that when it was announced, I was quite interested mm-hmm. in the concept. It was one of these ones that was bringing together, you know, uh, people from different... Good actors. Diff- good actors Great from actors. different countries. Oh, yeah. And the fact that it was having these elements within the story that were all going to be, you know, you know, Diane Kruger speaks in German for most of the film mm-hmm. to other German people. You've got, the, um, you've, you've got um, Penelope Cruz actually getting to be... A Latino woman instead of mm-hmm. instead of just a tanned American, and you get all of this stuff where where it was it had the opportunity to actually be something good, something yeah. that did end up satisfying um, sort of audience all across the world, and could have had a, some really interesting culture clash stuff mm-hmm. as well in it. But also, realistically, I just like good action films. Yes, it's a really bad action film. Yeah, what a shame about the result, eh? Yeah. All that, I promise. What a shame like about what really, came out. It's a really bad action film. So mm-hmm. it's it's just one of these, and it's it's one of these things that, yeah, it's just, it, it just had potential to be a lot more. I think its biggest crime is it's bland. Yeah. It's a film that is incredibly yeah. bad. I think I it's said not... after watching it, um, I think I was speaking to Alex about it, and I was like, it's one of those films where 
I don't think I can pick a moment out of there that I enjoyed. No. Um, and that's not to say that I found it bad, but it's just like I didn't find any of it good. Yeah. And it's that, and it is that thing of going. I, I think if if it's a big action film, mm. at the very least, you want to have a moment in there where you go like, "Oh, well, that was a cool scene, yeah. and that was a cool fight, or something like that." Like, and looking at my list, every other action film I've seen this year, you could pick I've, one. I I could literally even the bad ones. I can go. I can go all the ones I didn't enjoy so mm. much. I can go. Oh, I like that. Um, but that, but yeah, you're right. Three five five is a uh, very um dry from that point of view. I genuinely believe you could sit me down for a couple of hours and ask me the plot of the 355 and I would struggle to recall it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'd struggle as well, but... Because you've not seen it. You probably yeah, know more I mean, about it than I do. I thought I was really surprised by the fact I didn't see it because it kind of felt like it was kind of my kind of movie, you know, action movie directed mm. by Simon Kimberg, really um, up my alley, mm. as it were. Um <laughs> I struggled with this category as well, you know, mm-hmm. because I had a couple of films this year that were disappointing, I suppose, to a point. Some where it was just like, oh, maybe I just didn't connect with it in the right way. And it's still relatively high on my list. Whatever. Yeah. And I kind of got to the end of the year and I was like, it's probably the most disappointing. But I know that one of you has really enjoyed it recently. And I'm like, mm, can I choose it? And of course I can, because I'm my <laughs> own person. So my most disappointing is The Northman. Okay. On the basis of, I am a Robert Eggers fan, mm. and I really, really He's liked Egghead. If you will, I'm an Egghead. <laughs> I'm I'm Eggman, um, and I'm Pantera's walks play. <laughs> I really like The Witch, and I really like The Lighthouse. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, oh, okay, this will be an interesting thing. I don't know what it's going to look like, but it's Robert Eggers, so I'm sure that I'll engage with it on some level. And just didn't happen. No. Just no engagement at all, really. You know, there is a really great scene, and we've discussed it before. In fact, we discussed it this week. Yeah. The the scene where they're going into the village, um, yeah. the attack scene. Yeah, the first one. Really well shot. Yeah. Like the, the introduction of adult Alexander Skarsgård character. Yes. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, excellent. Really well choreographed, really yeah. well shot, really mm-hmm. well production yeah. designed, really yeah. well, like, all of that, great. And that is the only moment from that film that I think I like. Okay. It's like it's a good five I like minute William chunk. William Dafoe being weird. <laughs> yeah, okay. William Dafoe's dick out. That's yeah. fun, you know. He has of... dick out. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, he hangs dong. It's William Dafoe. <laughs> if he's got an excuse, come on. <laughs> like I watched this like this week, and I don't remember that at all. You got blindness. Yeah, yeah. I got dick, only... I got dick blind, guys. So. Beyond okay, fine. Beyond William Dafoe just having fun. And In fact, like, can I change my best moment? William Dafoe hanging dog. Sorry, yeah, no, carry on. But beyond that moment, Mm. just nothing in it worked for me. It felt like it was ambling towards a conclusion and it felt like it took a little while to amble that Mm. way. And the performances just really left me a lot to be desired. Like, I don't know if I'm just off the Anya Taylor Joy train (laughs) because of overexposure. Or if it's genuinely in our case of like, no, I just don't think she's good. Now, obviously, you've seen her in the menu this year. Yeah, and, and people are raving about her, but she's not the best part. Ray Fines and um, Nicholas Holt probably put in better performances. And surprise, surprise, Hong Chow steals the show again. <laughs> no spoilers Hong for Chow, the whale. 2022 UK release date supremacy. Um. <laughs> 
But shit, the Wales twenty twenty three. Sorry, it doesn't matter that she's not a great performance in it for me mm. because absolutely the cake gets fucking eaten by Nicole Kidman mm. and her performance, which I have seen people like praising to the rafters. And I looked at it and I was just like, this is one of the worst performances in any film. <laughs> and yet, but hey, I'm just one guy. Mm. And I know that yeah. the fact that you have watched that recently and you really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed, enjoyed it, it, but... But you haven't seen... And I'm very aware of, from what I know about The Lighthouse and what I know about um, The Vivitch, mm-hmm. I know why you might struggle with it because I think that is a very mainstream version. Yeah. Of, and I think, like, the stuff that I liked, I'm like, oh, this Robert Eggers has maybe got something about him. Like, that's me seeing it for the first time and I'm very aware that, like, it is that thing of if you see something by a director that you're like, oh, I love this, and then you get something that doesn't. Like, mm. you can really... Like, I think last year we talked about um, Last Night in Soho. Yes. It just didn't connect with me because I just didn't think it was Edgar wright enough. Yeah. Um, and that's a shame after, like, you have so much of it and then it drops. So I get it. I really do. And I think that's kind of the conversation we had so afterwards. what yes. you're saying is Anya Taylor-Joy is the common denominator. <laughs> it's what in, I was thinking. In the disappointing films. And like, we were all disappointed by Playmobil the movie. <laughs> Andy, what's your choice? So this was the category I found the easiest. Because I think there is... Do tell. There is one film that stands out above all. A film I came out of and I was like, oh, maybe I like that. But the more I spoke about it, I was like, "Mm, actually... And I remember just doing a podcast where we reviewed it and I was like, kept talking about it and you kept going to me, it sounds like you don't like this film. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom sets up a world where... Not only is there some really interesting stuff with the dinosaurs going on, but dinosaurs are in the real world. And that makes me kind of excited for Jurassic World Dominion because that means maybe something interesting is going to happen that we haven't seen before. Yeah, we had the T-Rex in, um, where was it, Ale or San Fran? Uh, San Diego. San Diego. Hmm. Um, and then we had that snippet. But what happens when dinosaurs integrate themselves into human yeah. society? They release this little snippet of a trailer. It was like... Ten minutes long, like. Oh uh, yeah, the dinosaurs uh, yeah. in the movie theater. And it was the dinosaur. Yeah, it was the campsite, and they were having like the outdoor cinema and the T Rex attacks or little allosaurus attacks. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. This is people learning to live with the dinosaurs, and how does that work? They're bringing back Alan Grant. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. They're bringing back Laura Dern. Yeah. They're bringing back Jeff Goldblum. Like, I love how Alan Grant. Alan Grant's his name. His... <laughs> Sam Neill is this weird name that people keep referring to, and I don't understand. They're bringing them back. And I was yeah. like, oh, great. And then I watched the film. Mm. And the film is just hot garbage. And the, the worst kinds. <laughs> the worst part about the film. The, right, there is a lot about the film. I cannot believe that I'm hearing this in discussion of most disappointing rather than worst. Judging from how much like shit you gave it when this, it came out. This is because the film... My expectations, yeah, expectations were, were huge. Yeah. So this most disappointing is it's a more film for you, is, is what I would say. <laughs> Well, I just thought that, oh, there's some really interesting stuff that you do. You release the trailer, I'm like, that trailer looks really interesting. Um, You don't follow through on it. The biggest problem with the film is where Fallen Kingdom leaves off is exactly where Jurassic World Dominion leaves off. Because nothing happens to affect anything. Mm. You start off... What about the locusts, bro? The locusts mean nothing, because guess what happens? They're put to one side, so I'm just fucking ignore them. I'm sure this would mean something if I'd seen it. Uh, 
So Norma Dern's thing is she's hey, trying not... to hunt some locusts that are potentially that are killing loads of crops because of, you know, world crop problems. Do, do you but... not like it how they go back to an island that's got dinosaurs on it? Oh, that's cool. They've done that a few times. But why? But why? Well, when you, you set it, it up... No, because when you set it up as, like, <laughs> we are integrating these, the island isn't the thing anymore. Mm. It's now Jurassic World. Like, they are integrated into the world and you can really play with them. And, right. you, and you set that off in Fallen Kingdom and then a whole lot of crap happens for far too yeah. long in this film. It's like two hours, yeah. God knows. <laughs> and in the end of the film, they literally turn around and go, well, those dinosaurs have got out into the real world. What are we going to do about that? It's like, that's where we were before! I love how excised you get over this. Um, so, I look, I know that you didn't like this movie. No. And I know that at one point you tried to convince yourself that you did. Exactly. I don't know why you did that, because you clearly hated it. Paul, I know that you're always disappointed whenever, like, a promising premise gets wasted. And it sounds like the 355... I mean, look, I haven't watched it. Why would I? It sounds like it completely butchers the idea of... We've got a really cool, interesting, diverse cast who can get to show off all good actors as well. there was so much money behind it. Yeah. Like... There was so much more money behind it than any other normal action film. Mm-hmm. And hey, you want to know a film that had a lot of money behind it? Yeah. Well, this is it. I mean, all I'm three of ours did comparatively, especially on Dominion. I mean, it's in the name Dominion. Like mm-hmm. literally, you've already had two films called Jurassic World, and you have not yet shown mm-hmm. shown dinosaurs in the real world. Yeah, it's, it's been Jurassic uh, Island. It's still. been Jurassic Island. I appreciate that the park was called Jurassic World, but eh. Uh, so yeah, um, so I I can sympathise with that one because uh, it was not a good film, and mm. I watched it, and I was kind of like, I don't really understand what you're doing. Why this is the end of your trilogy or whatever? And, and the fact but, that like, I don't want to, I didn't want to start set you back off. Like, don't get me wrong. No, I, I, I won't keep going it. on. But like, there's really stupid stuff, and it's the fact that like, even to the point that you can't kill any of your characters. So there's no jeopardy. Yeah. Like all of your, you can't kill Chris Pratt. You can't kill Bryce Dallas Howard. You can't kill a child because you can't kill a child in one of these movies. You've got the three core previouses, and then you introduce one new character who you don't really want to kill in their first movie. Who is also the probably the best character in it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Mamadou Athi, by the way. Okay. So you've got these cast, and they are going through basically the greatest hits of the Jurassic World franchise. Jurassic Park franchise as well. You're kind of doing it all again. Yeah, you've got 30 years of... And, and we're going to fucking do it all in this film. Vince Vaughn turns and, but up. You can't, but you can't kill any of them, so where's the jeopardy? Yeah. The jeopardy is my time. Right. Now, luckily, I didn't know that Alex won't pick this one because of uh, that the, the post credit scene where Wayne Knight returns. Uh, <laughs> Wait, is that real? No. No, no but they, they're in Times Square and all the screens change to that. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't release a 10-minute YouTube clip uh, that says your film's going to be one thing and then put yeah. something that isn't your film on cinemas, okay? Are you going to sue them like those Anadamas yes. fans who <laughs> sued um, Danny Boyle? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I'm going to just say one thing to back up my case mm-hmm. for The Northman being the most disappointing. I I don't care about seeing his Nosferatu now. <laughs> Do we have to pick a winner for this one? Because this one is real. Uh, surely. 
all three of them can have their own mm. place in the in the zeitgeist. I feel like we should. Dinosaur Man, most disappointing. The problem is, Andy's made a really good case for his one on the <laughs> yeah, basis and of false advertising. I'm, I'm also aware that like the next two categories, I'm probably not going to win. I, I so. just don't think we can have a clean sweep. We can't have a one where you win every category. That's oh, no, unheard no. of. I'm pretty sure that my best is not going to win. Mm. And I'm probably sure my worst isn't going to win as well. Paul? I am I'm fine for it. I'm. You can have it. I'm <laughs> yours. Paul, I'm, I'm sorry that Simon Kimberg directed yeah. another movie. No, I get it. Like, Andy? You were, a, you were a real egghead, as we established earlier in the episode. <laughs> And now you went. You, you now you. I've. I think I literally heard you the, the other day just wandering around and going, "Oh, Although the positive to Nosferatu is that Anya Taylor Joy is no longer in it. Um, uh, the plus side is Lily Rose Depp has replaced her. Right? Wait, is that who it is? I thought that was who it was. Oh, fuck me, I'm double off board. Um, if you want to see Nosferatu, if you go to um, Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. Yeah, it's basically watch, in watch there, the yeah. mansion bit. Imagine they had anything in this film that was at least visually and aesthetically as beautiful as anything oh, in imagine, Fallen Kingdom. Oh, Fall, I mean, this it's like I love Fallen sh- Kingdom anyway. I really loved Fallen Kingdom. I thought it was it was. I I, I thought it's the whole good dynamic moment. of the second half of the film. Was it's really got funny. good moments. Um, I still don't think it's a good film. I um, but, I think J. A. Bayona is wasted in that franchise, <laughs> as we know. But it's stuff like there. Even if you don't Why like is that Toby film, Stevens you can, there? You can I mean, appreciate sorry, Toby Jones. Even if you don't like that film, you can appreciate things like the shot of the um, the dinosaurs that leaving the mm-hmm. island looks beautiful. Yeah, that's good. There is. Uh, I can't name you yeah. one shot in Fallen Kingdom. Yeah. Full stop. Like that's right. a full stop at the end of that. Sentence. Andy, I'm willing to cede to you on this <laughs> on the basis of I know over the last. Fucking however many years it is we've been friends too long, <laughs> too long that Jurassic Park the franchise means more to you than a lot of franchises <laughs> for most people and that the one thing you have been looking forward to with Jurassic World is the world of Jurassic yeah. World and you didn't get that here and I can understand the trading standards would have a field day with that so I will <laughs> I will see to you on the basis of I think this has devastated you because <laughs> you've got 30 years of joy behind this mm-hmm. franchise up until the last couple of movies. Um, I liked them. Yeah, I know you I know you like Jurassic World. I still don't <laughs> understand it. But I've only had eight years of liking Robert Eggers' films. <laughs> you've had 30 years of wanting to see a Jurassic World. This is my personality. And being shortchanged when you were finally promised it. Um Thank you for for making that the most disappointing. And if it backs anything up, I have no backup options. Yeah, how many? No, no, that was my only Paul. Any one? No honorable mentions for you. I've got two. Um, One is, I think I'm being slightly unfair on it because I think it's probably perfectly serviceable. But I was hoping for better. Uh, the Hellraiser remake, uh, well, oh, re- requel, reboot, whatever you want to call it. I thought you liked that for some reason. I, I think it's fine, but it's not more than that. And coming from David Bruckner, I was kind of hoping that it would be something really interesting or just do it. The problem is, it's just like, it's so caught up in trying to be, let's explain the lore of this all. And it's actually like, well, the 
the thing that kind of made the first one interesting was number one because they can never decide whether they're in America or the UK and it just <laughs> seems to flip between the two but it's kind of the fact that you're ignoring a lot of the lore of it and you're just going here is some weird shit happening yeah. and <laughs> let's not get into the details of why the other most disappointing isn't a film <laughs> it is a moment that was missing from a film if I was sitting through two hours of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, he best say things just got out of hand. And he fucking doesn't. I was waiting for the only moment in the trailer that I thought was cool. Things just get out of hand. And, Paul, you can vouch for this. How often since I've seen that film do I still say things just got out of hand? Very. And it didn't happen in the film. If there's a worse moment category, then his... Weird CGI iron. Oh my god! Can we talk about? uh, No, we don't need to talk about the fact that CGI (laughs) now looks worse than it did (laughs) fifteen years ago. Um, So, worst moment. uh, Sorry, not worst moment. Most disappointing disappointing is Jurassic World. Worst moment is CGI (laughs) iron, and um, also worst trailer is. Why would you lie to me? Why would you show me it if I can't have it? That's that's right, KG. (laughs) So. We've got two of the categories out of the way. This is one that's a bit of a palate cleanser. There's mm-hmm. no winners announced here. It's just these are kind of cool things that we yeah. liked. Name some films. Biggest surprise. So this can be a film that you just had no expectations going in. It can be something you were expecting to be shit mm-hmm. and it was great. So 355 might appear on here for Andy. <laughs> um, I know you're a Kimberg freak. <laughs> um, i got a big one, but I think might appear on all our lists. Maybe, yeah. which is Top Gun Maverick, a film that I had literally no interest in before the start of this year. Yeah, I only really thought about it when people started going, actually, this could be really good. And I ended up watching Top Gun for the first time this year. Yeah, And then we went and watched Top Gun Maverick like a few days later. And I was like, this is incredible. Like, this is great. Right, I would never put that into bigger surprise because uh, no one else is a freak who hadn't seen Top Gun and knew how great <laughs> Top Gun was and wasn't excited for this film. The biggest surprise is that, like, Top Gun is a perfect movie for me and I just hadn't seen yeah. it. Yeah. The, the thing with Top Gun was this. Everything was stacked up for that to fucking fail. Yeah. yeah. When you think about the fact that you're coming to a film 40 years after the mm-hmm. original and you're going, right, with doing a sequel, it's like, really, is this mm-hmm. is this the right film to do? Is there going to be enough of an audience? And I mean, fuck me, right? Second yeah. biggest film of the year. Yeah. Like, it's... What, first film since COVID to... Uh, for, no, second... Because... Um, Spider-Man film, hit a billion. Yeah. yeah, second film to cross a second billion since COVID. To, yeah. But we'll talk about box office and sort of the state of cinema on a different episode, I think, mm. in the near future. But... um it is kind of interesting that Top Gun Maverick, a film that I had no interest in and actually only went to see because of the glowing reviews that you two gave yeah. it. I went in completely empty auditorium, just me yeah. in there. Cause I'd seen it like three weeks after it came <laughs> out, but it's still playing in big screens. And I went in and I just sat down and I went, all right, let's see what it's got. Cause mm-hmm. I, I went in kind of going, all right, they're saying it's great. I'm willing to be wowed. Yeah. And I came out of it going, Great fun at the cinema. Yeah. Not often that you get to do that in a big, loud, particularly for me, big, loud action blockbusters yeah. Yeah. are not my thing. However, what I will say is 
Tom Cruise has a very good pedigree at the moment of making big, loud, top, you know, big, loud, yeah. actiony blockbusters that really work for me. Yeah. The last three, the last three, the Mummy, uh, <laughs> Reacher, uh, Oblivion. We know that Jack uh, Reacher is only good for um, Werner Herzog, yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, it's it's a pure popcorn movie, yeah. and I think. Sometimes I've spoken about this multiple times. I think sometimes you do need those movies that are released going. at the perfect time of the year as well. You turn yeah. you turn your brain off a little bit and you just enjoy the ride. And that film stayed in cinemas for so yeah. long as well. It's this year's Greatest Showman. <laughs> it's this year's Greatest yeah. Showman. Um, Didn't uh, leave what? the top five for three months. Like, yeah. It's insane. No, it and is, it even has that thing where it dropped and then, and then it came, came back. back in. Yeah. yeah. And they did the re-release, like yeah. they did with Morbius, except for this one was actually worth it because they made more money. Sorry, I meant um, to mention that in my best moment. Yeah. Morbius could be back to the cinema because... because people were making fun of it yeah. online. Um, yeah, no, I mean, Top Gun Maverick's great. It's one. Of, uh, I think it's. Uh, I think Tom Cruise over the last few years as a producer has cemented himself as going. Oh, okay. Well, if you want a big blockbuster yeah. that is not CGI, no, uh, or not just full of CGI, yeah. That's who that you know, who better to look at it than him? Yeah. Because that and it's that thing of going, you know, part part of me is after watching, you know, this is why I can't put it in in my big in as anywhere near my big surprise because after watching uh, the last latest two Mission Impossible, yeah, yeah, what did you expect, Andy? <laughs> what did you expect? And this thing, I did, <laughs> I had no interest in this as a property. Yeah. And I absolutely adored it. Mm. Um, I've got a couple of others, but well, I'll, just, I'll let you guys do. Like, that's my big one. Yeah. If I had to pick one, it'd be um, that. So my big one uh, <laughs> is a film that I don't think either of you have seen. Maybe you've seen Andy, but definitely not you, Alex. Um, and I, you don't think you will ever see it, but that's fine. Uh, Ambulance. Oh, what a film. <laughs> Andy's seen it. I had a great time. <laughs> yeah. uh, so Ambulance is a uh, Michael Bay's latest film with Jake Gyllenhaal and Yaya Abdul-Mateen uh, and also Isa Gonzalez in it. Um, mm. Now, it's not necessarily a quote-unquote good film. No. But what this does is, is it sets the new standard for how to film car sequences in action films. It's So this is the first film that has used, like a huge amount of drone mm. cinematography where basically it was storyboarded using like using drones and all of this stuff as yeah. well and now the actual content of the of the story and all of this stuff isn't fantastic found out uh, yeah. that there was a late dropout of the cast and they rewrote the film and all oh, of yeah. this stuff and you go okay it's going to be me fair, fair, <laughs> fair enough but you were playing the ambulance <laughs> beep beep but it still does so much to advance cinematography in the in the sphere of action. The um, um, shots of it when it's in the kind of riverbed, yes, yeah, like, and it swoops, yeah. like are amazing. They're like, incredible, they are genuinely like, brilliant. The production, like that, and it's it's one of these weird ones where my biggest surprise of the year is that film purely because it has set the new bar for that style of. Film. And if there's one director who's going to yeah. harness the power yeah. of drones, it was, it was like, going to be Michael, Michael Bay. Bay, right? But this is it, and it's that thing of going. Sometimes, you know, um, I think we, me and Alex had a. Com- I don't think this was on the podcast. I think this was years ago off the podcast. I'm in a conversation about the fact that Michael Bay is an auteur, 
it's just the fact of he's got a very distinct style that mm-hmm. he goes for. Uh, goes for. This is another example of him then pushing out and finding a new element to explore yeah. in his in his films. And it's that thing of going, you know, the sort of person that came up by doing all these music videos and all of that stuff and all of these um, all of these action iconic action films from across the years. And then I, I just I, I, it came it made me think of um, I don't think he ended up directing it, but there was a shot in uh, um, Bad Boys for Life mm-hmm. where they they use a drone to take, go all the way three hundred sixty degrees around Will Smith and Martin Lawrence's yeah. characters. And it just made me laugh because it was when I was watching Ambulance because I was just like, well, this is how that was meant to look. Mm-hmm. All of this stuff because even even in t- in t- interior wise, they use utilize drones and ambulance, and it's just such a, a fascinating from a point of view. If if you are interested in that stuff, it is such a fascinating advancement of that field. If it helps, it's a really stupid film. It is a stupid film, and that might be the enjoyable part yeah. for you. Um. Biggest surprise for me, I've got a couple of listed names here. Top Gun was one that I kind of thought of, but then kind of dismissed because I was like, it's probably going to get talked about anyway. So the there's two I want to mention, but the first one is Barbarian because mm. I went in knowing nothing. Yeah. Which I was told, the best way to see this film is to know nothing about it and just enjoy the ride. And Barbarian ended up being, again, a bit like Top Gun, one of the most fun experiences mm-hmm. I had in a cinema this year, just in terms of just like, Wow, I'm I'm going with this now. Yeah. What fun I'm having on this journey, and the fact that it is three different films at once, yeah, yeah, kind of feels like oh, okay, you're <laughs> you're really pushing the boundaries of what I was expecting with this film in a really positive way, and I enjoyed the fact that you've got a mainstream horror. I'm not going to say hit because it was a flop, but you've got a mainstream horror that really sets out and kind of says we're just going to do whatever mm-hmm. we want and you know any film that kind of reminds me of Sam Raimi is a good thing um <laughs> shame that Doctor Strange didn't um so that was for me just like a really positive experience where I went what? yeah I, I enjoyed this sort of mainstream horror movie yeah. that I didn't think I would enjoy because I just kind of went in going look i I hear everyone saying it's great, and I instantly, whenever I hear someone going, universally, they're going, this is really fun. I just go, I don't know. You're like, I'll see about that. You said it's a mainstream horror. I wouldn't have have thought about it that way. What do you mean by that? As in, like, a major studio behind it. I thought it was, um, like, a less than... Yeah, like but it's it was a, like a two million budget thing, right? But it's a Sony thing oh, okay, that was picked enough. up and put and yeah. put out there by them, I think, if mm-hmm. I remember correctly. Yeah. What I mean is, it's not something that sort of come from the ground up and sort of. It's not. It's not a foreign one. Got you. It's not. <laughs> it's, it's not a Serbian horror film. No it's not something that I've powers. had to find on Shudder like <laughs> late in the year and gone. Oh, well, that's good. It's a, it's a sign what of. What I really like about Barbarian, like I really enjoyed it. And what I really like about it is that I've had like two or three really cool in-depth conversations with different people about the film, like where mm. we've seen it and we've had a chat afterwards and I've had one with you, but I've had it with a couple of other people where I've had these really nice chats. I really enjoyed it. Mm. I really did. Um, should I talk about a non-mainstream horror that I had to find on Shudder midway <laughs> through the year and is a foreign language film as well? Absolutely. 
um, saloon, all the boxes, which so you'll remember I is, talked about. Is this a surprise? It's big. No, again. I'm just saying, like everything that you've just mentioned, like makes me go, "Yeah, this is his film." No, but surprise. Right, okay. So which one was it again? Sorry. So Saloon, the <laughs> Senegalese film. Okay, yeah, I remember this one. Yeah, which is about mercenaries escorting a drug baron out of a war zone <laughs> during a civil war. Well, Andy, that sounds like your type of film. <laughs> exactly, and the fact that it opens up that way, I was like. I don't know, why is this on Shudder? Okay, I'll give it a go, why not? And then it progresses to be this weird sort of ghost story and there's supernatural elements. And it's just so much fun. Mm -hmm. Because I was like, it's able to do this action-y thing, but then it's also got this interesting thing where it's like, it's a very African film. Mm -hmm. And it talks about African culture and talks about African beliefs and it talks about... And I'm going... This is what, like, there should be more opportunities for this. And it's what I think Shudder do really well, which is they've picked up a lot of stuff that would not get a release in the US or in the UK in ordinary circumstances. You would have to really search this stuff out if you were trying to watch it. The fact that it gives homes to things like this is really positive. Mm -hmm. And it's exactly what Shudder is supposed to be for. It's supposed to be highlighting, you know, there is a world out there making horror movies and you've got something here that feels very distinct. Mm -hmm. And it feels like it knows what it wants to do and it knows the story it's telling and it wants to tell it in the best way possible, which is, well, let's embrace the authenticity of it. Let's not move away from that. Yeah. I think that's to be applauded. And I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it after the initial setup of being like, wait, am I watching like an action movie now? Mm. And the fact that it manages to tread the line between action and horror, I really like that. And if you want to find that one, if you go to Shudder and search for films that are perfectly orchestrated for Alex Hudson. Just, just put in Senegalese film, <laughs> Hudson liked it. Um, any other um, mentions? Yeah, yeah, I got a couple. Uh, not okay. Um, film came out earlier this oh, year yes. starring Zoe Do- Dooch. Oh, yeah, I remember that I one. I don't think I pronounced that right. Um, Quinn Shepard film. Uh, it. I thought the trailer sold it as something. I watched it. It actually had a lot more to it than the trailer sold it as um, and ended up being quite an interesting piece. Um, I can't believe I'm saying this. <laughs> Day Shift on Netflix, the uh, vampire <laughs> okay. uh, action comedy starring Jamie Foxx and Dave Franco, Mm -hmm. uh, was great fun and didn't take itself too seriously, Mm -hmm. did uh, satisfied everything it needed to do. It was a very, it was a really well constructed sort of B movie, like action comedy sort of thing. Could be for fun films. Yeah. Uh, And the, uh, the other two, I just want to mention these two, uh, Prey, uh, the latest entry in the Predators Mm -hmm. franchise. Uh, I thought it was really excellent. Um, I will uh, go into that another time because there's not enough time for all of my thoughts on it. Yeah. Um, and uh, a film called The uh, Hatching that was a Finnish language uh, horror film. It was a secret screening on the on Cineworld Unlimited. And so it's literally a biggest surprise from the point of view of, I hadn't heard of it. <laughs> uh, watched it. Pretty good. Um, so yeah, Hatching. Uh yeah, so those are my honourable mentions for this one. Andy. Um, I'll do this really quick. Didn't expect to become an Avatar head this year. 
I am. Love it. Um, like both, I saw them both in the cinemas this year and had a great time. You've got that fucking post Avatar sadness now. You? You <laughs> Why am I not in Pandora? Um, I like that you didn't invite me to see Avatar 2. I thought you didn't see it. No, I asked you to go see it. And then you were like, yeah, I can't make it this weekend, but we'll do it soon. I thought you'd seen it. I saw it this week. Fucking hell. <laughs> All right. Jeez. All right. Um, Uncharted, biggest surprise for being in my top 10 until literally like a week ago. <laughs> okay, from the... From I'm going to say the half of the movie that I've seen, that is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, but in in your in Andy's the, you defense, did say that the second half was the, the, third, the, the, the final third act, act pulls it out of the bag. The third act is one I, of the best third again, acts I've I, seen in those sorts of films. I know I'm supposed to trust you both, but I can't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> and my final one for this is um, the fact that Dwayne Johnson was right when he said the hierarchy of the DC universe was about to change. And he succeeded. Yeah, that's that's true. He did completely change the hierarchy of DC. Yeah, biggest surprise was that The Rock managed to predict something accurately for once. <laughs> um, cool. So check those out. Um, you know, they're just ones that you check out. Find them. You might enjoy them. Um, the Nerf Award for stupidest film of the year. Yes. Like, did we come to a consensus on well, this? Or you just said to me, I'm going to propose Moonfall, Moonfall still. Moonfall is stupid. Did mm. either of you see Moonfall? No, no, none of us saw Moonfall. It's so stupid. Why would I... we see Moonfall? Because <laughs> I saw well, it. going on my list to see if I've seen it. Even if we were still yes. living together. <laughs> but no, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. Moonfall is stupid, and I love every moment of it. Because it's one of those films where... It does stupid things with stupid people and then somehow gets even more stupid. And I, by the end of it, I was like, why is this film doing this now? This is the most stupid it's been so far. I love it. Okay. Moonfall, best film of the year. <laughs> 10 out of 10, no notes. <laughs> I am really annoyed. Yeah. Because... I think the Nerve Award for Stupidest Film of the Year this year okay. should go to a film that I've seen all but 10 minutes of. <laughs> okay, put it this way. I know what film you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to explain it a little bit. Yeah. Um, I'll give it Nerve Award for Stupidest Film. The only reason, guys, we're not talking about this film in like one of the other categories because... Yeah, m- might be the one that's coming up next. Is because I told Alex he's not allowed to finish it. Because then I have to watch this film. So, The Scary of 61st is a film about a woman who, like, starts losing her mind and becomes obsessed with Jeffrey Epstein and the whole sort of uh, Little St. James and the Lolita Express and all that. There are scenes in this film... So, I, I mean... I don't know if I can describe these to you without them sounding like they are not real. They're lies. There is a point where she goes to Jeffrey Epstein's apartment in Manhattan on 61st Street. Interesting. (laughs) It's not interesting. Um, Masturbates on the doorstep of his apartment building and then, like, (laughs) makes out with the nameplate that says J. Epstein. And then goes home, mm-hmm. 
to find the her so we we go into her room and there are pictures of Prince Andrew cut mm. out from all of his sort of wedding memorabilia to Rebecca Ferguson in the 80s that have been cut out and she then masturbates with those pictures I wasn't allowed to finish this film but I will tell you now if I was allowed it would have been the stupidest film and the worst (laughs) film of the year I'll allow you to have Moonfall on the basis of you actually completed it no 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 we can we can have Paul, do you have anything that is more stupid than... I'm not told every year that I'm not allowed to suggest anything for this one. (laughs) Well, normally it's a thing like me and Andy would have watched something together that is equally stupid. This year, I didn't go and see Moonfall. Look, I I wonder why. There's only one suggestion of what what I'd have, and we're going to talk about it very promptly, so let's move on. I'm willing to give it to the apartment that I'm never going to watch. I'm going to give you that on faith that you stuck to your end of the bargain of... You didn't finish it, so I don't have to watch it. <laughs> We're doing an episode on it in October. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so, The Scary 61st is the Nerve Award yes. for the <laughs> film of the year. Oh, thanks. Okay, so, let's move on to worst. So, uh, there was a lot of chatter pre-record about this being <laughs> maybe the most tasty of the categories. We will see. So, this is where we like to celebrate... Sorry, it is the Entourage Award for the worst film of the yes, year. Yes, and I think it's important to say what we try to do is we try and watch each other's worst and best. And and the reason for that is, like, we never used to do that, but the reason was so we could have more of a conversation about it. But it does mean that we hold each other over a fire for most of the year, where it's like, oh, guys, like, you might end up having to watch this. Yeah, we have to put it off until the last couple of weeks just to make sure that if you change your mind at the last second, (laughs) we haven't wasted our time by watching Fantasy Island again. (laughs) Me and Alex almost watched Morbius. (laughs) Yes. So... I'll kick things off. Yes. And we'll move around. Um, my worst film of the year is Duel, uh, a film that I had no knowledge of before <laughs> watching it. Paul put it on. I was in the room. I thought, I may as well stay in the room. Why not? Mm. I mean, what the hell? For so, context, I put another. I put a film on the other night. He left two minutes into it. I learned my I lesson. I think he's learned his lesson. <laughs> How but much- then he tells me, oh, yeah, about... Yeah. 60 seconds after you left, we decided yeah. to turn it off because it was a bit shit. Yeah. And we put on Beverly Hills Cop, one of my favourite <laughs> movies. Um, before you start explaining Jewel, can I just ask how much has this affected your relationship with Paul? Um, oh, not much. He, I don't really hold him accountable. he's the one who put you in this no, position. No, because he could have left. <laughs> I, I could he have could left have at left. any point. He, hadn't he has legs. Yeah. yeah. So okay. Jewel is essentially a feature-length... Uh, Twilight Zone episode mm-hmm. about a near future or alternative future, uh, alternative present where cloning is a real thing that mm. is um, commercial and marketable. And when people find out that they have terminal illnesses, they can go to a cloning center. I can't believe I remember so much of this film and I didn't haven't seen it in seven months. <laughs> you can go to a, a center where they will clone you, and that clone will then rapidly grow up and get to the age that you are currently, and then it slows down the aging from that point forward somehow. Don't know about that. Uh, they start as... They start, they start, yeah, start, they start the same, same age. Oh, is that it? Okay. Yeah. But they then shadow you and essentially learn all your behaviours so that when you die, the transition to new you, cloned you, is as... 
this is such a stupid fucking movie. The the transition to new you is as smooth as possible for your family because you are acting and sounding like yourself even though you are a, a replica. Mm-hmm. And Karen Gillan finds out from her doctor, I don't know the character's name, Karen Gillan finds out from her doctor <laughs> that she has got a 100% chance that she will die from this illness that she 99. has. 99.9%. No, they say 100% chance. Yeah, I'm sure they say 100%. They say it's... No, she says 99.9. She goes, oh, but what if I'm the 0.1%? And she goes, oh, but you won't be because okay. nobody is. And she goes, well, then that's 100%. But she, specifically okay. they say... Okay. She then doesn't die, but the clone wants to stay alive. And because it's been alive for, I think, a year at that point, mm-hmm. there is a way to settle this. There is a legal precedent that's been set years ago, and we and we see at the start there is a clone versus real person shootout, mm-hmm. and you a have jewel, a jewel, <laughs> and so it's set up that she will have a duel with, with her, her clone, jewel. with her duel. Yes, D U A. Very funny it's word, good word play. Yeah, good word. Play. That's well what done. they don't Five say stars. enough about this film, and. Look, it's the worst for this reason. There aren't any performances in it because nobody is doing anything. They are reading from a script and then repeating the words they've just read from a script without any emotion. And that goes for every single actor in this. That is true. It, it, it's, it is baffling to me that this film... I know what you're going to say. You're going to go... Maybe it was a deliberate choice to play no, it that you're way. No, he's not going to say that. I'm going to say that because <laughs> it is correct. Now, right, this is where, this is where we're fighting. Okay, so... No, but this is where we're fighting because, because it, I will admit, I don't think it is... A, I don't think it's a good film, but... You're correct. What, but the big thing that you, you... Both of you seem to have circled back to, but I know definitely you on this film is the performances and the fact of going, there's no emotion in them. No. Now, the one redeeming, I genuinely believe this. Oh, I can't wait to hear this nonsense. It is. <laughs> redeeming. It is a deliberate choice because there is no way that they all do that to sort of performance without being deliberate choice. How can we be because, sure? <laughs> because it, now, I'm gonna. I'm, I'll be honest. It feels like a poor imitation, but it still feels like an imitation of Yorgos Lanathros's style of that sort of coldness and removed uh, uh, thing. You, no. What? Yes. Yes. This is insanity. Paul. And it's a bad imitation, but it is an Im- it is an, a deliberate choice. Who watches they... Yorgos Lanathros film and thinks there's no emotion here? There is so much emotion in those. No, but the oh, I'm just saying that it is a deliberate. choice. I am choice. losing my fucking mind here. It is I a deliberate don't choice. know who Yorgos Lanathros is. Uh, the guy that did the lobster. Oh, and... you know, I know him. Yeah. yeah. Um. My thing is, is if that is an intentional decision, why are they all doing differing levels of bad performance? That, um, that is a like good Some point. of them are doing it as a farce. Some of us are doing it really dry. Other people seem to be trying. But also, like you said, everyone seems to just be reading straight from their script. Um, I, believe, I believe you might be right, Paul. I think mm. this might be something that is intentional because it's the only way to explain why everyone yeah, is bad because otherwise there would be there'd bad be, performance otherwise like, there'd be one there, performance in there yeah. that you go hmm 
Hmm. Like if it was just if it was just that Karen Gillan was the character that was reading all of her, if all of her dialogue was like that and everyone else was normal, then I go okay. Well, there's there's the worst a, thing about Karen either Gillan a is... weird direction or a very bad performance. But the fact it, the fact of the matter is is that yes, they can be bad performances and they probably are. But at the very least, I do think it was an intentional, intentional choice. And the worst thing about Karen Gillan is she has two bites at the cherry to do a good performance and she fucks it both up. Um, he, do you I, want to continue? I, can, I cannot lovely. believe that I've heard the word. It's one redeeming factor. <laughs> Is that it was deliberate choice? I I, I cannot understand the word redeeming ever being associated with this unless it's it's without any chance of being redeemed. <sighs> well, what's your film, Paul? I know what your film is. We all know what each other's films yeah. are. Yeah, but look, they're all bullshit. Look, I hate them all. The audience don't. Um, that's what makes this podcast so good. I um, can't believe it. <laughs> I've been fucking sandbagged by you here. Um, <laughs> so my worst of the year. And I would like to add the caveat that I do think it's incredibly hard to make films. And therefore... Uh, I don't think it was there, that hard to there, make Jewel. There is, uh, Didn't seem it. There is... Uh, a very specific reason why this is worst of the year. I don't... If it... If it I think if it hadn't have been this film, I don't think I would have think I, I think I would have opted out of choosing one for this year uh, because I don't want I don't like the idea of worst films. Like I don't think that's a positive thing to do particularly. Uh, so believe um, me, so neither do where, I. But I had to watch Jewel. Um, so um, mine is the Bubble, uh, a comedy film about a movie being made during COVID. Uh, I could go into all of the reasons that this is uh, this is a bad film, but the reason it is uh, the thing that I'm putting as worst film is because it is super cynical in the sense of it is literally a two-hour film about COVID where it's like, oh, look how it was hard for us guys. It was hard for the rich movie stars that were having to make movies and stuff like this. And it's something that, at the time of society that we're in, I just thought it was really, really poor taste to have made it. I mean, it's similar to that Songbird film that I mm-hmm. I didn't watch. Oh, Songbird's so bad. Um, but it's that thing of going, why after hundreds of thousands, potentially mil- you know, millions of people around the world have just have, have died, people have lost children, fathers, brothers, sisters, and you're just and and then you you go, hey. Well, you know, it's a good idea if we highlight the real woes of COVID. And I think off that point, if you balance that against something like Glass Onion, which handles the pandemic with a deft hand, and the situation that people dealt with, and actually these people who are the elites, um, you know, handling their situation, you go, okay, there, there is a balance here of like, you see what happens when somebody who actually has some kind of knowledge yeah and some kind of actual nonsense about or some kind of empathy mm. because that's because ultimately glass onion doesn't dwell in any of the but yeah no but, so that's my, my big thing now beyond that i also think it's a comedy film that forgets to make jokes i've been i've have it on good couple, authority couple of good laughs in there but there is three good laughs, <laughs> for alex I don't know how many good laughs you got. I think I had one. Um, and then when Alex was telling me the, th- the three laughs that he got, in hindsight, I think one of them was a laugh for me. But a two-hour comedy film should have uh, should have uh, more than 
one joke. Mm. Um, Two-hour films should have more than no performances. But, true, yeah. true. Whatever. Andy, let's move on to you before I'm, I start attacking Paul's choice. i got a film that does the best of both worlds. It has no performances and no jokes. Mm. Um, I don't know. It's got a performance. No, it's got a performance in there that I really like, and that's the problem. So yeah. let me talk to you about a little film called For Love and Thunder. A film that is basically a follow-up to For Ragnarok, which is a film that I kind of didn't like anyway, but I had moments, to a film that is... Um, cynical it's an absolute it's a really cynical film made by somebody who has no care and attention to a franchise that means a lot to a lot of people now fall of thunder wasn't my worst in a film for a long time it i had a lot of films below this but yeah. every time i thought of this film i moved it down slightly more <laughs> like every time we had a conversation about this film i moved it another slot down because i was like yeah actually i really didn't like it until eventually there's no place to go for you're on the if, floor. If this film had come out in November, it would have been his top ten. But because <laughs> it was July, it slipped all the way down there. There was no point this was in my top ten, I can tell you that. Um, so the problem with four is it is three or four movies in one. And there's only one movie in there that I would want to see. And it's a f- movie that they go, oh yeah, that's an inconvenience. So Christian Bale is in this movie as Gore the God Butcher. Um, and he puts in this really interesting performance um, that I was really kind of intrigued by. And they do some really st- good stuff visually with like mm-hmm. his realm and stuff like that. And then, unfortunately, you have to go back to the fact that Taika Waititi is just like self-masturbatory. Oh, here I am having the time of my life. Who gives a shit about any of this stuff? Because isn't it funny just to just make jokes? Jokes that don't really work. And the reason this is my worst... And the reason why I don't think this is going to stack up to your guys, because your guys have pure vitriol behind it, and yeah, I fucking hate this film. The reason it's my worst is because it has elements in it of moments where I go, oh, this film could have worked. This film has moments within it that goes, that's the film that we want to see. And by mirroring that with moments that are really awful, which is the rest of the film, like, the effects are pretty shoddy. The performances, the, the script is awful. Like the whole put when it's all put together, and I think you know there is some kind of Marvel sheen to it, but there's also like the worst elements of Marvel in this, of everything has to be, everything's a joke. And I'm watching a video of Tiger Matiti and um, who plays Valkyrie. It's um, Tessa Thompson. Tessa Thompson. They Making did a video of the VFX. Yeah, and they turned around and they went, "Oh, that doesn't look very good, doesn't it?" Mm. You had the opportunity to fix that. That's your one job, Tiger. Mm. Make this mm. film look good. And reboot, and there's a floating head of a child, which is really weird CGI, and I hate it. Um, it got redone for the Disney Plus release. <laughs> did it? And I'm not, not going to watch it, so I it, wouldn't know. It, it was. Uh, I just saw a side by side of the images, and yeah. they made it from bad to still bad, but <laughs> different. Um, I didn't think the CG the their floating head thing didn't bother me, so I'd, maybe it is better than it was. <laughs> uh, um, I mean, it's not good. There's but... also there's also a shot in this movie where I'm pretty certain, and I said this at the time, and the one reason I might go back to watch this film is to see whether or not my eyes deceive me in the cinema. I'm pretty certain they Photoshop um, or deep fake Chris Hemsworth and Natalie Portman's face onto somebody else's body. Or they use CGI to put them on their own bodies because their face does not react with their bodies, and it's really off-putting. 
Um, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. This film is garbage, but it does complete the Karen Gillan appears in a movie, so therefore it's bad trilogy of this year. Oh, like. shit. Oh. Yeah. Oh, oh, my days. What a, You know what? I hope Karen Gillan isn't one of your listeners, because <laughs> you just lost a listener. Like, she's not bad in four, because she doesn't really appear yeah, in it, but she's in, it, yeah. but she's she's in, in it. it. That's the biggest crime. And I just think, that's like, the, no, that's not the biggest crime. It isn't being that she just in, in, in Thor in isn't it. a crime. The thing is, the Directing idea, Thor. the idea of the God Butcher, mm-hmm. and the idea of having like eternity, and this idea of like this big being, is really interesting, and it, and it asks really, really kind of valid questions of the universe, and they do nothing with it, and. Every moment that has lots of pros, um, Zeus in it, and his Borat voice is really, really bad. Um, I really hate um, Brett Goldstein's Hercules. He said one line so far. Mm. He's like, well, he's yes, like, father. Yes, father. Fuck off. Um, well, that makes two of you. <laughs> I hate so much of this film. I'm very aware that your guy, you guys are probably going to argue against this because there are there are moments of light in the darkness. I wouldn't be so sure. There are glints. <laughs> there are glints in there. I liked Bale's performance. Yeah, um, I thought it was from a different film, but exactly, I did like which is it. the film I want to see. Uh, and Alex's look at face says that he didn't like it still, but that's fine. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. That is the film that I want to see as well. Um, and it's that thing of going. Uh, ultimately, that's probably why I didn't end up putting it mm. quite that far down. But I just think I I find it hard to justify. So I've seen the deleted scene where Thor and Zeus are like by a lakeside and they have a discussion about the power of the lightning, the ball of lightning, and he yeah. basically gets given it rather than them stealing it. And I was like, why did you film this when you were going to basically just throw it to one side? Because this has so much heart than any of the rest of your movie. And I imagine you would have uncut it by, you know, Chris Hemsworth being pantsed afterwards or something. Mm. But, you know, it, that deleted scene is better than 90% of what you put on screen. Um, the reason I've gone on about it is because I know that I'm not going to win this category, so I realise that it's a shootout between you two. Um, I don't know if you have anything to say about four, but it's a garbage movie for garbage people. You've put me in a difficult position. What, are you going to say four? Nah, well, no. It's bad. It really is. Like, Mm -hmm. everything that I don't like about Marvel and that has been clearly declining with Marvel, Mm -hmm. this sums it up. Yeah. It's everything that is the worst of Marvel. It's everything that is the worst of Taika Waititi Mm -hmm. and his style. I also hard disagree on (laughs) Christian Bale. I think it's a bad performance, (laughs) and I really didn't like it. But I appreciate that for you, that was a nugget of sunshine mm-hmm. in there that you're going, please, can I have a bit more no, of that? And they're going... A man in a dungeon might cup the flame of a candle. Right. Okay, here's... No, here's the big problem of, of, of Thor, Love and Thunder. You've got a character called Gore the God Butcher in it. Doesn't get any gods, yeah. does it? How, how many gods do you see die on screen? One. One. And that is literally the one at the start where he gets his name, but it's like... 
but then you just like there's right there's a shot where you've got this big fuck off massive space walrus in the snow um and it's dead <laughs> and it's meant to have been a god mm-hmm. and it's like why uh, are you yeah. why are you showing us that and not and not showing us show don't tell show don't yeah, tell is exactly. the, is yeah the exactly uh, yeah and then literally there's a scene where it's he's the, so the, good at butchering gods that you already done it before you got there <laughs> yeah but you already done it before the camera got there yeah, camera, camera can't be everywhere. Now, if I cut a chicken breast, I'd summon me a butcher. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> okay. On yours, Paul. The bubble. <laughs> Funny film. Loved it. Um, okay. Two, three laughs. Three laughs. And I can't remember what the third one is, so maybe only two. <laughs> there was a third, but I don't know what it was. It was two references to things that you knew about anyway, so you were just like, oh, that's funny. Wait, what was the other reference? There was two things that was were... was one about one, one, being in one, the I thought that was cool. One, remi- one reminded you of something that you had said. Yeah, because I'm funny. <laughs> and then another, another one had reminded you of something else from another film. Uh, and then there was the one in the middle, which was the um, which was the, the one where, joke, yeah, where he the, says, "If that don't stop yeah. me, I'll fucking kill it." Yeah. After the yeah. other one says, "Don't worry, you're yeah, safe, safe here. Yeah. No one's going to hurt you." <laughs> okay, so my one point on your one, Paul, you made a big deal about the fact that it feels cynical. It feels like, oh, you know, wasn't it so hard for us actors? I think it's a parody, and it's meant to be poking fun at actors who think they've had it tough during covid then i think it doesn't badly but i'm okay if your intention with mine is saying it's a deliberate choice for no one to put in a performance in duel i think it was a deliberate choice for it to be making these people into unlikable assholes who look like they're poking fun at the fact that other people are dying Mm -hmm. while they're swanning up in a luxury hotel and further to that i laughed twice maybe three times For that, it's not a good comedy because I didn't think that the central conceit worked. However, I can acknowledge there did seem to be a central conceit. (laughs) The central conceit of Duel, I think, is what if Twilight Zone was worse than it already is? Which, on occasion with Twilight Zone, is very bad indeed. And with Duel, it is like watching one of my least favourite Twilight Zone episodes, Baby President, why not? Something like that. And going, yeah, but what if just just nothing interesting happens and no one has any ideas beyond <laughs> that point? Do you want me to kind of come in? Because I'm, I'm basically taking myself out of the race. I don't think I'm going to win this one. Like, I just want people to know that I think Fall of Thunder is trash. So my my thing comes into this, which is the bubble is bad, but I think there are like six films I've seen that are worse. Six films that I go, I wouldn't want to watch them again. And if you gave me a choice of them in a straight shootout of watching the bubble again or watching those six, I'd never do that to you, Andy. I know, I know, because you're a good person. One of those films is I would much rather watch the bubble but ever sit through Jewel again. I think the Jewel was tedious. I think it is. And even if it is a deliberate mm-hmm. choice, it's a deliberate choice that doesn't work. It's a deliberate choice that, like, the perform- choosing to perform it that way just makes the film monotonous. Mm. It makes it 
really hard to get through and your payoff at the end doesn't sit well for me. Yeah. My biggest question with the bubble is one of the characters at the very end says, I haven't been sending the COVID swaps off, so I um, I don't know where to send them, but there are at least three positive test moments in the film. So how are they getting those positive tests if they haven't been sent off? Yeah. That's my biggest problem with the bubble. That's um, not my biggest problem with the bubble. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I sit anyway. Well, like, it's dual then, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think the bubble is bad. I think... Probably these two films are probably worse than four. I just want to say that I just don't like four. But I Al- Alex is just happy that you've mentioned an MCU one as your worst of. The year. <laughs> he just again he's raw in character development, so he's he's there. Like, you're, and you know most disappointing was a Jurassic World film. You know it's <laughs> who it's, am you're, I? Really, you're really I, spreading your wings. This hey, year. I said the this... hierarchy of the Dinosaur Man universe <laughs> yeah. is changing. Yeah. I said this year that uh, my entire list is based on vibes, and that's mm. how I feel this is coming across. Now, if we're saying that Jewel wins by majority, mm-hmm. I will happily take that. I will say this, Paul. We don't say any more on it. <laughs> I, I will I think say we've this. talked enough about the bad ones. I don't like the fact. That there's too many apatows in Hollywood. (laughs) Too many apatows knocking around. Um, Is the other one doing anything these Mm -hmm. days? Yeah, yeah, they both are. Okay, but wasn't invited to be in the bubble. No, because she's Euphoria. Could have been in the bubble. Yeah, no, no. You can only have. You can only have. You could either be in Euphoria or the bubble. Hence, why Zendaya isn't in the bubble. (laughs) She's in Euphoria. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. If I was given a script for the bubble and I was given a script for Euphoria, I'd say yes to Euphoria. (laughs) Like it doesn't matter who. who, If my dad's directing the bubble, I would go fuck (laughs) this piece of shit. I'm off to do Euphoria. Sweet little paycheck, though, isn't it? Um, Fun fact about Euphoria. Do you, have we got time for this? Probably not, um, but why not? In the first season of Euphoria, I think it's in one of the first episodes, it set a record for most um, most dicks on screen in one TV episode. You say fun fact. It was, it was, like, it was a locker room scene, and like they all just had their dicks out. Okay. Fun fact for you. Paul, have you watched Euphoria? Yeah. Well... You remember that season. scene? Do you remember that scene? Record breaking. You remember the dick scene? No. Okay. Um, <laughs> I've never seen it. I, no. This is secondhand information. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I will say this: "For Love and Thunder" was my second worst. <laughs> but there is natural anti "For Love yeah. and Thunder" waiting involved in that. I think. I think I would have put that. Higher up on my list had it not been called Thor Love and Fun. Uh, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> um, the only other honorable mention I've got is Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which yeah. forgets to be. Are you looking at the ones that are a I Texas Chainsaw film? The um, thing about Texas Chainsaw Massacre was it was like, oh, well, Fede Alvarez has produced this. It's like, give a shit about that. And it's, it's so bad. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, well, it's kind of calling out influencer culture. Not it, it really. It kills a load of influencers It on kind of calls out lazy horror reboot culture, which <laughs> there was an awful lot of this year. Anyway, any other honourable mentions? Um, if you want, I'll name the ones that I thought were worse than the bubble. <laughs> uh, just because I think it's worth doing. 
Morbius um, was so my glad I didn't have to watch so that. long because it's just a bad film. Halloween ends. Go listen to the Halloween ends episode uh, that we did, um, where I told you what my thoughts are on that. Um, the answer is not good movie. Death on the Nile maybe is probably better than the bubble, but I don't know. Um, I just remember just thinking it was garbage. And Old Henry, a film I watched actually last year, and the twist in Old Henry is the most stupid thing I've ever seen in my life. And it is a bad, bad film. I cannot believe that Old Henry is as bad as you're saying it is. I just think you hate Old Henry. I spent a year doing Old Henry impressions to you. Paul? Nope. No runners-up? No, as I said... uh, don't uh, the only, don't the only reason the bubble is is on there because I think it's super cynical about uh, about celebrities and COVID. Uh, that is the only you know. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I would not have picked a worst of the year. Well, your worst is normally just some Netflix gone. <laughs> yeah, well, no, that's what I just mean. That you know, obviously, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 try, I'm trying to make more films and get into. Yes. It. I appreciate how hard, hard it all is, and and you know, I'm not a critic. I'm a, yeah, I get I, that. I, 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 I think you are... all films are miracles that they happen. Unless you've spent a hundred million dollars on a comedy about how hard, yeah. At the end of the day, COVID. you are you are a filmmaker, and we are two people who, let's be honest, are never going to be invited to the premiere of these films. Um, Shall we go? Know. I think Taika Waititi's got you on his invite list now. I was invited to the premiere of Jewel. Yeah. yeah. I unfortunately forgot to reply. I didn't realise what it was. I didn't realise it was wordplay as well. That would have probably sold it to me. <laughs> so we move on to the final category today and this year. Uh, best of the year. So uh, another another category where we like to really highlight the stuff that we mm-hmm. clearly loved. Um, has anyone got anything they want to start off with? Why don't you start, Alex? Okay. So Jewel, it's a really interesting <laughs> film. About the duality of humanity. No, so long-time listeners to this podcast will know that I am a big fan of humanist filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and by that, I mean things like um, Thunder Road, for example, mm-hmm. where it is small scale, it is realistic, ultra-realistic performances, sort of Robert Altman-type stuff that really digs into human emotion and what that is. I'm not one for blockbusters. We know this. Come on, guys. You've had two hours to settle into this. <laughs> he cheered when Blockbuster closed down. My my film of the year is one that I saw about a year ago mm-hmm. um, and has stayed with me all through the year and rewatched it yesterday for the first time. So Mass is the directorial debut and... Uh, screenwriting debut of uh, feature debut shall I say of Frank Krantz who is an actor turned director but still acts alongside of it um, normally just based in one room and focusing on a um, a meeting between two sets of parents uh, one the parents of a victim of a school shooter and one uh the parents of the school shooter. And the film for, you know, more or less its entire runtime takes place in this room and follows their conversation more or less in real time. Mm -hmm. 
and gives you an insight into this conversation and shows you that beyond the media headlines and beyond everything that you ever see with school shootings, there are still humans who are left after the aftermath. Mm -hmm. And it's about how it's affected them. And it's about how it's impacted on their lives and the reconciliation that they have to go through in order to try and move through that process and not become overwhelmed by it and immersed in it and drowning in this in grief. Yeah. I'm sure we'll get into it in the discussion. So I'll leave it there for mm-hmm. now and I'll pass over to one of you guys who wants to go. Okay. So my film of the year, unfortunately, is one. So we said earlier that we um, tried to watch each other's best and and worst. And unfortunately, what happened this year is that was happening until I saw a film earlier this week, um, which now Paul hasn't seen. Mm-hmm. So I apologise for this, but I'll try and explain my reasonings for this as best I can. So earlier this week, I watched the film RRR, which I always find really weird saying. Like the word you like, want to say triple R, yeah, but then you think it might be confused with triple nine <laughs> or six underground, which is a thing that always happens in my head when I think of triple nine. I go triple nine, six underground. So apparently, it's also called Rise, Raw, Revolt. Yes, which is let's, what the R's stand yeah, for. Is let's just call it R titles. Um, which film directed by SS Rajamuli. Um, it's a Indian film. It's language. It's Telugu. Telugu. Um, and basically this film came onto Netflix after a cinematic run. Um, and I caught it recently because I'd heard like a lot of good stuff about it. Basically the story is there's two separate revolutionaries um, who are on two different, completely different journeys whose lives intertwine. Um, one of them is hunting for a girl that was basically bought from the village um, and stolen away from this village. The other one is somebody who is trying to work his way up from uh, within the British forces in India um, so it takes place in the 1920s, I think. Um, sounds about right. Yeah. Um, and basically, there's the English oppression in mm-hmm. India. And these two stories, you have somebody working their way up who is then tasked with hunting down the other one. Um, and basically, how their stories into intertwine. Um, you've got um, Ramaraju and you've got Beam. Um and basically, by happenstance, these two people meet without knowing who each other are. Um, so they don't know that they're the person each other have, one has to be aware of and the other one is hunting. And they form this friendship and this bond and they start creating these great memories together. But oh, what happens when these guys realise who each other are? Um, is your basic premise. The reason I love this film so much is because it is... When I said earlier my list is based on vibes... I've not had more fun with a film this year than this movie. Mm. It has some of the most creative action scenes I've seen in a long time. And yes, it's not always um, the best visual quality. Mm -hmm. Um, But what they do with it is really, really great. So when it came to best moment this year, there's a scene which is like an assault on a palace where that scene had about nine or ten of my favourite moments of this year. It is genuinely that much fun. But not only that, you then have... So I'm not somebody who... um, I'm not really aware 
or a buffet with um, Bollywood cinema. I don't know if I've ever seen much. Mm-hmm. And this basically goes to the ideals of that cinema st- cinematic style. Although they will say it's completely different to Bollywood because it is Tollywood cinema rather oh, okay, than Bollywood. Sorry. Bollywood is now on the decline, by the way. Bollywood's out. Tollywood's in? Tollywood is in. Bollywood is widely seen as of having lost its sheen. Um, but I've not seen really any kind of yeah. cinema of that ilk. And this kind of like the intercutting of these action scenes and this kind of really cool drama, this really fun connection between these two people, um, some really like amazing just kind of like visual shots of like sweeping landscapes and stuff like that, mixed in with then you get like just random songs just bursting. And I'm like, oh, these songs are actually just great as well. Um, like there is one really emotional one with Beam later on that I absolutely adore um, when he's basically him kind of having his resistance moment and I just think like it's just this really beautiful moment it has this absolutely you spoke about it on the podcast a few weeks ago um, Natu Natu which is this kind of like fun dance number um, which is just so joyous and it what I think you put it perfectly Alex when you said this film might not be your film the whole way through, but it has something for everybody. And everybody will have something within this film that they will absolutely adore. And I think when it's all put together and it's all knitted together, I went, oh, this, yes, this is this is the film I want. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there is a thing that we spoke about that is missing on Netflix, which is it doesn't have on Netflix, it's in its original language. It has it in Hindi instead. And I kind of wish that it did. And I have been searching for any kind of like Blu-ray release or DVD release of this film mm. that has like the original thing because I want to own this now. I want this forever. Yeah. Um, like it burrowed into kind of like every kind of pleasure center in my brain and went, yeah, this is the movie. I think we spoke about this with Mission Impossible Fallout a few years ago when I picked that. And I was like, mm. Sometimes I just love action that makes me realise why I love action movies. You know, that is kind of what I am. I'm somebody who absolutely adores action. And this film did it. It made me go, oh yeah, that's why I love that, yeah. these kind of movies. Um, Paul? Um, well, that sounds very good. I uh, You should watch it. It's great. I'll, I'll, I'll try and get around to it. <laughs> it it uh, was purely just the fact that yeah, I was like, yeah. I can't make you watch a three-hour movie like two days before. Yeah, as, uh, as I said, it was it was between that or After Sun this morning and uh, there wasn't any way that uh, we, uh, you could Alex get didn't If you wanted to have watched our you should have said, I'm going to make the effort yeah. to do that. And I'd have gone, okay, that's fine. I'm going to go and watch After Sun and then yeah, you but, can watch it afterwards. Yeah, but I also wanted to watch After Sun. No, well, there we are. So, okay. So, um, so uh, I actually... Don't know what you're going to choose here. The there's two things. Best mm. film of the year is Mass. Oh, so um, whoa! I did not expect that. So I was convinced you were going to go for everything everywhere. No, it's um, Jesus. Mass Paul. is. Um, I am shooketh. <laughs> good, good. Mass is a staggering examination of humanity, mm-hmm. um, and it's literally a baffling script in the sense of I genuinely don't understand how a man who has turned 41 since you know in the year that that film came out has written that film mm-hmm. without having the personal yeah you know because it's so it's so astounding in the way it captures these people 
and portrays four flawed human beings. And yeah. that's just the main cast because it's got side characters in it where you like where they they get maybe two to five minutes of screen time that are fully fleshed out humans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the woman it's, who works for the church yeah, she's setting up everything. Incredible. But even the kid, you know, the boy that's yeah. helping her and, and the, the woman who's organizing the whole meet, like all of them just, just end up just doing that doing it so well. It it's so rare that you um watch a film that has a profound effect on mm-hmm. worldview mm. and stuff like that. Yeah. But this is one of those. Um, it covers, you know, some of the most horrific, unimaginable uh, topics that that humans could experience, and it, and it deals with, and it, well, not deals with them, but you know, examines how that is affecting these people. the f- The real key here, the re- the real reason why it is, I think it's it has to be the best one is because it makes the conscious decision to set itself six years after the event that they are all reeling from. These are people that have had a chance to attempt to heal. Not to heal, but to attempt. It's people Mm. who've lived in the pain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and hey, guys, can we just all agree that Mass is the best film of the year? Let's just have a really nice conversation about Mass right now, because I I genuinely think it is, like... Amazing, like and everything you're yeah. saying is absolutely correct. I think anyone who's ever lost anyone will get a lot out, would get a lot out of how this film looks at mm-hmm. that because there is, you know, and you know, I picked one of it, one of the lines from it is one of the runner, uh, runners up for best moment of the year. Really, that's only because I'd already decided on the freaking cheeseburger from the menu, <laughs> like, like, otherwise, like, I would just be like, right, the hour and 46 minute runtime of Matt's yeah. best moment of the year. Because for, it is for me, there was there's a moment where the father of the shooter, yeah, um, explains kind of how much he knows about what happened. Yes, yeah. really and powerful. Yeah. That for me is probably the best moment of the year. But I kind of didn't want to talk about it because I was like, I know we're going to end up talking yeah. about maths, because um, I knew that this was going to be your pick, um, and I think that is heart wrenching. Yeah. Because I think Jason Isaacs is incredible. Like, all of them are incredible. We talked about this in the Oscars of last year when we said all of them should have been nominated. I think Jason Isaacs does this great job. And then all of a sudden he um, Bernie. Um, yeah. comes out with this moment that just blew me yeah. away. So, and I think everyone has those moments of real kind of light and shade. To well, I think that was my, my initial... The thought to Alex last night after watching it was the fact that I thought that Reed Burney was the was quietly the strongest performance in the film yeah. because it's a character, but that's pure, probably purely because it's a character that you don't see portrayed much mm. in that way. They gave it's a difficult character, yeah, with yeah. To and they were given, you know, and he managed to have that humanity behind this sort of hard outer shell that he had obviously built for himself to survive. Mm. And yeah, it's just such like I on it. I mean, it's just one of those ones though that I don't want to speak about anything too specifically because you should people should if, watch. If it. you haven't seen it, it's so stop good. listening now because <laughs> yeah. I think we're going to get into some real discussion about it. Just a little bit of a discussion, yeah. But I would say switch off the podcast now, watch it for yourself, then come back. Okay, they're gone. <laughs> Got rid of those suckers. So what I. Th- 
I mean, look, do I count this as a personal achievement? Of course. A <laughs> film that cost under 300 grand to make finally gets recognized by the Academy of Dinosaur Man. <laughs> but I'm delighted you feel this way, Paul, because when I saw it in January of 2022, I I said at that point, I remember saying to both of you, that film is that thing that happens once every three or four years yeah. where you go, that film is the film that is doing something that I haven't seen done. Mm. And sometimes it's a big thing. Sometimes it's a huge action film that mm-hmm. says... Sometimes like, it's Mission Impossible Fallout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for, for example, when you saw Everything Everywhere this year, you yeah. said, and I think that is my film yeah. uh, uh, that's done that. Yeah. And I said, I'll be really interested to see what you think of Mass because I actually think from a screenwriter's perspective, mm. it's mm-hmm. a great film to, yeah. to look at. For you, Andy, I knew that on an emotional level, you always tend to engage mostly with what I engage with in yeah. similar ways. Not always, but you, you tend to be on the same wavelength. Paul, I think it's more a case of, I think you're there from a filmmaker's perspective going, it's so impressive that Frank Krantz has been able to craft this it's everything because it's the um it's the filmmaker's perspective because yeah and this is where on your on your alternate oscars from last year you suggested frank frank Kranz as for director mm-hmm. absolutely because there is it's so like the topics you're dealing with especially there is Two million ways to fuck that up. Yeah, yeah, and there is one way to get it yeah. right. And it's that. Um, I hate that. That's made me think of. <laughs> I've seen three but, billion yeah. different yeah. outcomes. But it made me think of a million ways to die in the West. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this is exactly it where made me think of another way to die. Because <laughs> there are so many ways that you can fuck that up. Yeah, and yeah. it's not even that you have to fuck it up two million on all of those two million. You fuck it up once yeah. and it falls apart. Mm. Like, it's such a difficult topic to deal with. And then the fact, like, yeah, and it's just one of those, you know, so from a, from a writer's point of view and direct, you know, directing point of view, understand how difficult that stuff is and seeing what he achieved with his debut in terms of feature yeah. stuff. But the emotional stuff, is, it is, like, ultimately this is it. It's When I said earlier there were dozens of moments you could pick out from that film and go, yeah. moment of the year, moment of yeah. the year, mm-hmm. it's... Like you say, Reed Burney knowing all of that forensic yeah. detail because he has read over all of these reports mm. time and time again. And it's the bit where he says, on that day, the world mourned 10, we mourned 11. Yeah. Recontextualizes yeah. the whole thing for you. And you start thinking about always school shootings mm-hmm. are huge tragedies. Any yeah. mass shooting is a tragedy. Any single shooting is a tragedy, but any school shooting... Of course it's a tragedy. But then you start thinking, there is a family of the person who perpetrated that act. So I think, coming off the back of both of those, what this film does incredibly, and especially coming off what you just said, I went into this film and I wanted to hate the people who produced the school shooter. Yeah, of course. I wanted to be against that person because I was like, they're they're in the wrong because they are so closely related. And what the film does is it makes it so that you don't. And you don't... Yes. And it doesn't pick a side either. It doesn't go, okay, this person's in the wrong mm. business. You make your own decision. But what they do is they lay it out there. And I think exactly what you're saying is absolutely the thing here, which is it goes, 
yeah, actually there is more than yeah. what you just feel. Mm-hmm. And instinctively, I, I went in with a prejudice and a bias. As soon as you realise what the film is about, yeah. you have a bias towards kind of like, oh, I want to be supportive of the people who yeah. suffered. But actually the people who suffered are all four people around that table. Yeah. And for a script to really nail that, and performances to really nail that, like... Yeah. Yeah, I think oh, it's... Oh, God, it felt real. And yeah. the, the fact that... So you, you talked earlier, the, the sort of moment from Reed Burney where he says, you know, it's everything you cannot see. Yeah. And actually, that kind of speaks to a lot of what the film is doing as well, because you get the sense that there are things going on in the background that you're not quite 100% sure yeah. of, but you realise during the course of it, okay, so Reed Burney and, and Dowd have broken up since the event, mm-hmm. and clearly that's affected, you know, that's potentially been the stimulus for that happening. Mm-hmm. But then also there seems to be a wedge in the marriage of Jason Isaacs and Martha, Martha Plimpton as well. And, you, yeah. and you're going, it affects four different people who are all intrinsically linked to this horrifying moment yeah. in four completely separate ways, but also four ways that are uniquely a shared human experience of living through a moment that they should never have to have lived through. Mm-hmm. And what does that do to them? And the idea of that truth and reconciliation stuff in South Africa being Frank Kranz's inspiration for this film and going, what can we learn from that? And you see it happen in the film and you see them going back and forth at each other and you realise there is literally no way to progress when you are just doing this. You end up going round in circles as they do in Mm -hmm. the film. And it's only that moment in that final 15 minutes where she says, tell me a story about Evan. Mm. And Martha Plimpton starts sharing her story about how he was covered in mud one day and they were going out to dinner with the grandparents. And you see that moment of Anne Dowd then saying, well, that's what your son's life is worth. And that's what he added. That's what his value was, was that you still have that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get taken away. Your son's been taken away, but your son still is there. Yeah. And then Martha Plimpton then responding with, I think I'm ready to say it. I think I know it. I need yeah. to say it. And saying, I forgive Hayden. And Dowd's face in that moment is devastating. Mm-hmm. And I watched this film yesterday for the first time in probably a full calendar year. And I cried as much as I did the first time, probably more because I was crying as soon as I walked into the room because I knew <laughs> what was coming. Yeah. And I probably looked like a fucking little freak. <laughs> I mean, why didn't you? But this film is that for me. It, mm. it just feels like one of those films that comes along and actually says, look, look at this issue. It's not an issue that is black and white. It's an issue that has got many different layers to it. And people are affected in different ways. And people are affected in ways that you never even consider because you want them to be the bad guys yeah. because they've produced this person. But it's not You cannot be held responsible for every action that person, person takes. And there's a great line right at the beginning of it where she says, there's so many things that we'll never know. Mm-hmm. I could tell you about my son right from birth, but there's so much that we'll never know. Mm-hmm. 
I love this film and I'm delighted that you both love it. It's special. I mean, it's a special yeah. special. Shall we get on to honourable mentions? Um, also, guys, RRR is really good, just so you know. <laughs> RRR is good. I, I like. It's my second favourite blockbuster of the year mm-hmm. after Top Gun. Yeah. Top Gun really yeah. got me in a way that I didn't expect it yeah. to. But RRR is one of those films where I was going, it's just a lot of fun. And on a technical level, yeah, it's not perfect. Mm. But if you... So if you stack that up next to For Love and Thunder, yeah. which I couldn't help but doing because there are moments in it where I was just going, this is so much... Like, this is this is if you were doing RRR the wrong way. <laughs> To the, the nth degree. And I hated Thor Love and Thunder for the fact that I'd seen RRR already. And I was like, no, RRR is the one. Yeah, like, yeah, that's how to do it. And even though some of the sort of, you know, CGI is sometimes a little bit whatever. But what I like is at the start of it, it turns around and says, hey, look, we've CGI'd all animals in this film because, you know, we didn't want to kind of train animals yeah, to do anything. Yeah. So we just CGI them all. Yeah. And as soon as you go into that and you see these CGI yeah. animals, you're like, yeah, that makes sense now. Yeah. Um, Should we do some other honourable yeah, mentions? I mean, Paul? I'll, I'll, I'll do a little sweep. So the, uh, up until last night, Everything Everywhere All at Once was sat at number one on my mm-hmm. list. Um, arguably, I still wasn't convinced whether I was going to say that one or not anyway. So uh, Mass really <laughs> say, like just helped me out because yeah. it was just like, well, I can't not say Mass now, so that's fine. Uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once is incredible. It's obviously already got a lot of love very publicly, so I won't spend too much t- time talking about it, uh, other than the fact that uh, Stephanie Sue is incredible in it, and she seems to be getting overlooked massively yeah. at this time of year when all the awards talks talking about it. My thing of Everything Everywhere All at Once is it's the film this year that I think maybe I've been too harsh on mm. because I wasn't blown away. Mm. But the more I think about it, the more I go, oh, but I do really like certain things. And it's yeah. one of those that I'm going to go back and watch. So I said this to Alex recently, which is there's a load of films that I want to rewatch, yeah. like um, Glass Onion, I'm going to rewatch. But because of this episode, I'm like, well, I can't justify rewatching like, it before. Yeah, yeah, two yeah. and a bit hours to yeah. the film if I could be watching something that's, yeah. that I've not seen before. Yeah. So yeah, I think everyone at once, at one point, well, I was like, I don't get what Paul means. But yeah. actually, like the more I get away from the more I go, yeah. I think I need to see this again. No, I think, I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it? It's got a few different themes. I mean, the one that I latched onto massively was just the sort of, of, of sort of growing up sort of depressed and mm-hmm. not really knowing your place in the world and that connection with family. And yeah. All this. But I also appreciate that a lot of, you know, children of immigrant families in the Western world have related to it from a lot mm-hmm. of other ways that I haven't and all of this stuff. But yeah, look, it's, it does a lot with a little, um, you know, I think 30 million budget in the end, and I think it's one of those films that looks better than all yeah. of the Marvels and on any of that sort of stuff. And also, does the multiverse right? Exactly. It's <laughs> it's something, you know, one of the things, like, literally in the title of Doctor Strange is the multiverse of madness, and then they, they go, oh, we're in the multiverse now. Red means go, <laughs> green means stop. Mad! Always get pizza. <laughs> whereas, whereas at the you know everything everywhere all at once, you know they do ha- they do go into a universe where they are rocked with googly eyes. Yeah. So you know it's that thing of going. You know that's that's where they they actually utilize their um, storytelling technique better. Yeah. Um, but my other honourable mentions are uh, Banshee of Inisherin is uh, a very Wonderful. very good film. Um, and then my two blockbusters for the year are Top Gun Maverick and Nope. Uh, both of them, I thought, were... Nope, were, were another film good. that I'm like, maybe I should go back and rewatch mm. because it didn't connect for me in the cinema 
and maybe I just need a second go around. Yeah, I think I, I, I connected a lot. I, I really liked the the fact that they were de- dealing with a brother-sister relationship mm. in it rather than a ch- father-child or whatever because it's one of those things of going... It's, some, it's, a, it's a, a human relationship that you don't often see explored in films Yeah, because typically siblings aren't main characters and things. You know, it's a, It is actually something that you see a lot more on TV, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But typically in comedy things as well. So... Now, from that, uh, it was one of those ones that I thought that that stuff was good, but also just the spectacle elements of it. You know, it's, yeah. it's very much um, there. Is a couple of moments in it where I, just, you know, I just found. In fact, I think Brandon Herrera's character is a great like barometer for like how I felt about the film at various mm-hmm. points because his character is reacting to moments in the film the same way I reacted to those same moments. There's a bit where they get the uh, they get the money shot on the yeah. uh, on the mechanical camera camera. And he's just like, like absolutely hollering over it, and I'm just there. I was just there in the cinema, just like trying to stop myself from screaming. I hate the people who uh, like whoop and cheer in cinemas, <laughs> but I actually found myself coming close to it. So yeah, um, but yeah, um, yeah. So those are all my honourable mentions. Yeah. Really, like I said, it's one of those. I'm going another one. That I'm going to go back and kind of reevaluate because I think you do get that certain times where there's films where you just kind of go, this didn't. Kind of kicked me, but I know there's more to it than what I felt, and I think yeah. that might be one of those. I would be interested in watching it again, just from the point of view of I think that there would be more to get from it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, my honorable mentions are the Banshees of Inisherin because it was my yeah. top um, until I saw RRR. Yeah. Um, I think every single performance in that is incredible. Yeah. Um, I think I love the script. I love it so much about it. I know you weren't so hot on it. But, um, I th- yeah, there's there's a couple of films this year that I've admired yeah. more than loved, and Paul's two and your two have both fallen into that camp of you know everything everywhere and Banshees of Inisherin and both being ones where I'm going technical level everything is great you know I really like the script I really like all this and yeah I just didn't emotionally engage with either of them in the right way and it's that thing of like. I really admire the film and I think they are both great films mm-hmm. but they're not in my top 10 because I just didn't have that connection yeah. with them. And them not being in my top 10 is insane but at the same time I'm going, well, if I'm going on just vibes or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> We're on the vibes list, guys. Yeah, yeah, and I get it. Um, one that was my top for a long time was The Batman Yeah, which I genuinely believe would still be my top if its third act wasn't so wishy-washy. Um, okay. Because it's so strong for the first two hours of it, um, and maybe a bit longer, but that last bit, I was like, mm, you didn't quite hit it. Um, and I genuinely think like the rest of it is phenomenal. Um, and the film that almost became my number one is Glass Onion, so which I think is... On the, sorry, on the Batman, quickly, the thing that I really appreciate about it, especially after... So, years of obviously Marvel films have been on in decline for the last few years, and the quality has been uh, questionable at best. Uh, and I think it's interesting when people, a lot of people, have praised the Marvel films by still going, "Oh, they managed to do this thing from the comic book, mm-hmm. or that bloody blah, blah." They managed to make it feel like a comic book. The Batman feels like a Batman graphic yeah. novel, like mm. it. It does. Like the bat opening. Yeah. Like, is 
like the closest yeah. to a Batman that I think I've seen. Now, and even in terms of the narrative, the, how the story mm-hmm. unfolds is so like a graphic, a Batman graphic novel or comics, you know, comic arc uh, storyline. And you're like, well, that's it. That's yeah. it doing it. You know, that's if you, if you want to see it, if you want to see something that actually feels like a comic book, then, then it's, it's that. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely, I, I love it. I just think the end kind of section of it, I was like, mm. it just seems like A, either goes a bit too long or B, it just doesn't seem to kind of fit and that mm. I kind of like what they do with it but I also don't like and then the other one is Glass Onion which I think is phenomenal like I genuinely believe there's so much to that film that like I keep peeling like an onion I keep peeling away layers and I'm like this is great like even down to like so the reason I want to rewatch it is I want to rewatch it with the knowledge of the twist and I won't go into the twist uh, but the knowledge of the twist really changes kind of what the start of that film is mm. and knowing what you then know about certain characters there are certain actions that happen at the start of the movie, but I'm like, oh, that's actually just really clever, like mm. because it just really highlights how kind of foolish these people are. Um, really love it, and like I said, it genuinely could have been my top. I've only got two. Um, so the worst person in the world, which I watched mm. relatively recently, and I did in Cats Up season, um, just in terms of a film that perfectly captures the feeling of being in your mid to late 20s into your 30s and not really knowing what your life is about similar to what you were talking about Paul with like everything everywhere kind of that directionless sort Mm. of is this what I'm meant to be doing type thing Mm. everything everywhere all at once tries that in a way that kind of works for that but didn't work for me whereas the worst person in the world is so intensely like relatable for me that I'm going Wow, this is this is perfect mm-hmm. in terms of trying to capture a moment in time in a life that feels like oh, this could have been mine. You know, I I feel like I feel like I know this life, even though none of the careers are similar to anything I've ever done. But it still feels like that. Yeah, um, and also has this exploration of sort of the idea of falling in love and sort of the feeling of that that just nails it like nails the sort of magical feeling you get the first time you fall for someone and you kind of you have a night where you spend with Mm. each other and you go nothing else in the world matters this is all I'm focused on even the fact that she already has a partner at that point and she finds this new guy and she goes this is everything to me yeah it's that it is human filmmaking. And again, you know, I'll watch it. Strong Don't Gear from I'll Norway, that's what I'm going to say, because The Innocence was great as well. But that's not my third. Um, After Sun, I watched it today, and there is a lot that I want to get into, but I'll speak to you independently about that, I'm sure, when yes. you watch it, because I'm sure you will probably maybe watch No, nah, maybe you won't. Yeah. You've already done this episode. We've got, know, news, we've got news and reviews next week as well. Though. But yeah, I'll talk about it on news and reviews, but there is a lot going on in that film which is ostensibly about memory first and foremost i think mm-hmm. and about what memories mean to us and what sort of the way that we perceive things in the past and things in yeah, yeah there is yeah. a lot going on there that i really engaged with and i love the performances anyway it's been a long one yes we we took you on a we ride. took on a lot we spoke a lot but it's always the longest so Thank you. It's always a really news. enjoyable episode yes. because it allows us to give us that one final thing into the, the, the stuff of last year that we really loved. We get Paul on. He talks about what he loved, what he didn't love. Um, but 
it's a really good opportunity to just highlight, particularly in that sort of bigger surprise category mm-hmm. of just sometimes it's smaller stuff. And actually, this year, the smallest film probably, yes. you know, that we've mentioned today is the winner of the best film, which I think is astonishing. Yeah, I genuinely didn't expect expect that from you. I was I was floored. That I I get I get it though. Like I genuinely do. So to run through the categories, uh, we have uh, as the winner of best moment, we have Black Panther. Black Panther, your dressing down scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, most disappointing. <laughs> Jurassic World, for Jurassic Dominion. World <laughs> Dominion for ruining your life. Um, lots of surprises go lots of surprises um, Nerve Award we've given to The Scary of 61st <laughs> and I think correctly <laughs> I feel I would never watch it. and uh, Worst of the Year was Jewel mm-hmm. and Best was Mass I mean look guys it's been a long one thank you for being here as always you can find us on Twitter at DinosaurMan15 Andy you've been the host Johnny Neves did the theme song ah I got you first Alex, you've also been the host, but there has been a third host this a week. A third host. Paul, Triple where host. Right. Thank you for joining yeah. us. Host, as host, ever. host. Triple host. Yes. The host switch. HHH. It has been a host, genuine. Host, host, host. <laughs> it has been a genuine pleasure having you here again, Paul. Is there anything you want to plug or is there anything you want people to check out? Uh, yeah, this podcast. Aww. Great podcast. Thank you, Paul. We, we, and if you, we love taking part. And if they sat through this entire episode, hopefully they are just going to stick with us now. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, thank you everyone who did listen. Go check out some of these movies. Um, they are brilliant. And until next time, if you find yourself and in a giant robot, um, make sure that you dance to Pantera's <laughs> walk. I, I was actually going to ask if I could do the until next time. Oh, sorry. Until next time. Yeah. Until next time. Welcome back to the movies, baby. <laughs> nice. Thank you. <laughs> Um, everyone should watch Don't Worry Darling, right? That's the takeaway from this year. Yeah, sure. It's a movie that feels like a movie. It feels like a movie. Dinosaur. Dinosaur. Dinosaur Man.